0: On this episode, we discuss Hudson Hawk.
1: The story of Sully Sullenberger and the miracle on the Hudson. The miracle, of course, being the creation of the movie Hudson Hawk, directed by Sully Sullenberger.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy.
2: Oh, hey, Dan. It's me, Stuart. <laughs> uh,
1: uh-huh.
2: Okay, last name and, and
1: and your last name also? Wellington. <laughs> Good. Okay, you're coming along great, Stuart, and I'm glad we put all that practice in beforehand. Thanks. And I'm Stuart's, uh, you know, Miracle worker style tutor, Elliot Kalen. But today, we've got some exciting guesting with us today, because joining us... <laughs> great.
0: We've got one of our biggest, most blockbuster guests, and we're really you know out of the gate.
2: It's, it's <laughs> we're like, stumbling. It's
1: like when, it's like when a horse is just like ready to go, and then they open the gate, and the, all four of the horse's legs immediately fall off. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's because somebody pushed the little button underneath the horse, and it just collapsed.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, our guest. <laughs> oh, because it's one of those toy horses with like the rubber band yep. legs. Okay, sure. Uh, our guest tonight. Tonight, when are you well listening to this? Probably during the early morning hours. Uh, our guest is. <laughs> Roman Mars, host of 99% Visible. That's right. One of the top podcasters in podcasting (laughs) and someone I personally am very excited to have on because 99% Visible... Is one of my favorite shows and was one of the first podcasts that I listened to where I was like, "Oh, this is what a podcast is supposed to be like." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> not like just this. three Jackasses cabin. <laughs> yeah, not just three Gabin Jacks, but but like a real show where I'm like learning things and feeling things. Uh, so, Roman, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's
3: my pleasure. I've been a listener for a very long time, so it's a real, prov- real it's a real privilege to be here. There's my professionalism coming out right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh no, that's
1: just Dan. Dan is contagious. And he claps all of us.
2: Somebody clapped, up, so they edit that part. What I like also is uh,
1: we now have, I think, the most extreme poles of voice tone ever on the show with uh Roman's kind of like deep, dulcet, you know, kind of, Uh you know, beautiful sound and my kind of like, what if a praying mantis could talk kind of voice, (laughs) you know?
2: And, and I sound like an orc that's been hit on the head. <laughs> Only because you're like, oh, it looks like meat's on the menu. Wait, what's a menu?
1: How do uh-huh, yep. I, an orc in Middle-earth, know what a menu is? Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, uh, so, uh, suddenly I've achieved consciousness, and I'm going to wander off to start, I don't know, painting horns and ants in the woods.
1: <laughs> and Dan, what does your voice sound like?
2: Uh, I mean,
0: I, I'm, I'm sort of a Roman that's more of an Eeyore. I think. Oh wow! Maybe. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah. okay. A joyless. Roman. I can see that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> joyless... Speaking Ken of joyless. Science. Speaking of joyless. Speaking of joyless Romans, we're going to talk about Hudson Hawk today. But first, Stuart, <laughs> I believe you had uh, you had something you wanted to talk about.
2: Yeah, I want to bring up the fact that this episode, in addition to having a blockbuster guest, is happening at a blockbuster time uh, for the podcast. Not the world; the world's bad right now. Um, but the podcast is. Uh, we're in the middle of the Max Fun Drive. This is one of those chill cool low pressure max fun drives that it. take like two extra weeks to do and that's when we're <laughs> going to talk about why uh, during this time we talk about why our show is important and we encourage you if you like the show to support it with your dollars and part of what makes uh, the show <laughs> part of what makes the show great and also max fun in general <laughs> is that the it's max fun is supported almost exclusively by listeners like you Listeners who reach deep into their pockets and support uh, support the show with their hard-earned dollars, and that keeps us from being controlled by corporate interests. Uh, how am I doing, guys? <laughs> I think yeah, you're that's doing great. great. I, I would like to step. Here's what you got to yeah, do: yeah. you got to
3: bring the call to action up front. So you got to tell people what to do to join, like right oh, now, oh, is that the time you're going to need to yeah. do
2: this. Okay. Okay. No, that's that's all. 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 This is all good input. Um. So. <laughs> What you should do, you're listening to this and you're like, man, I want to be one of those badasses that Stuart is talking about right now. So I will go to MaximumFun.org slash join and select a level that is uh, that I am comfortable with uh, based on my, I don't know, financial stability. Because right now things are tough, but you know what isn't tough? Supporting things that are great like our show or you know okay uh yeah <laughs> you
0: bring up the pandemic and uh, if you're anything like I am uh maybe you're a little lonely during the pandemic and if you're anything like I am maybe you labor under the delusion that your favorite podcasters are your ear buddies uh-huh. and so <laughs> yeah. it's it's great to hang out with your ear buddies uh and I hope that you know during this hard time we provide at least some semblance <laughs> of a service to listeners and uh, we're happy that you're still listening to us. And, uh, you know, we ha- we're happy that you help us produce these things. Uh-huh.
3: As a listener and donor, I would I can testify to that, that that is absolutely the truth. You do give comfort in these times. And especially when you're talking about the times of a pandemic. Where there's so few things you can control. And especially when you talk about advertising bottoming out in the world. This is a, something you can control because Maximum Fun is supported by you the listener so you can just donate at maximumfund.org join and you can control this moment you can control this thing you can control this (laughs) this is the one thing you can reach in and give a little bit of what you have to like support a whole network of people creating art that don't have to depend on the whims of advertisers
1: Oh, wow. I feel like we just got we so totally up. schooled. We're just yeah. getting it's, this. This is like one of those ads for a master class YouTube, and they're like, "Meet your new teacher, Roman Mars. He's going yeah, like to teach us." Yeah, it's like Don Draper
0: just walked into the room, <laughs> but like but, Don but, Draper just pulled out like a, a, a slide, uh, a slide tray and, and that, schooled us. And we I didn't would, even know. I just turned that, my that, phone
2: that, on. I turned my phone on and started recording what Roman was saying so I could remember it for the future. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's so, uh, so maximum slash join is what we want to say, right? Yep. That's
3: what you want to okay, say. Okay, guys. Yeah.
1: And now that we've gotten that out of the way, the audience is rushing to their computers or perhaps the web browser on their phone, mm-hmm. uh, that to, to become a new or, um, upgraded Upgrading, Maximum yeah. Fund member. Uh, guys, let's talk about a little movie that Roma decided to bring into our lives. This is a movie that I have heard about. For years and years and years, but I had never actually watched it. And so I'm curious, Mr. Mars, uh, why this one in particular?
3: Well, I think it's held this sort of bit of fascination for me because when it came out, I was, a—I think I was around 15 or 16 when it came out. And this is an age where I was prepared to hate anything and everything that existed in popular culture. And um, I saw it on video and I knew people hated this movie. And so I was ready to kind of join in on it, but... This is the first time I felt like I knew that people were hating it for the wrong reasons. Because they hated it because they wanted it to be Die Hard 3 and but it wasn't trying to be Die Hard 3. It was trying to be an R-rated live action Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And I felt like this was it was totally missed on the public. And so I was fascinated by it, by it and I kind of just sort of always thought about it afterward.
0: Yeah, and the advertising didn't do it any favors because they were trying to sell it as an action movie, which I can't blame them because I don't know how they would have sold it <laughs> as the movie it they is. they could sell like, it as
1: a comedy, I guess. I mean, I'm looking at the poster yeah. right now and it says in big letters, catch the excitement, catch the adventure, catch the hawk and then Bruce Willis, and then Hudson Hawk is in kind of the second smallest letters on the poster, but Hawk <laughs> is in huge letters, so it's almost like they want people to just think it's called Hawk, or maybe Catch yeah. the
0: Hawk. Um, to piggyback off that Hawk the Slayer uh, <laughs> madness yep. that was and Lady sweeping Hawk. the nation.
1: And Lady, ha- Lady yeah. Hawk and, Ca- and Hawk the Slayer had burned up the screens five to ten years <laughs> before this, and they wanted to <laughs> jump on that Hawk wagon. Uh, Hawk Wind had, you know, of course by 1991 was long s- <laughs> s- replaced by Motorhead in the hearts of Lemmy fans everywhere. But, yep. you know, they thought, hey, maybe we can get some Hawkman fans in there. And let's not forget, someone must like Hawkman. Somebody somewhere must like that <laughs> character. Hudson Hawk is going to get it. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was reading some of the reviews from the time movie came out, and I was baffled at how much the reviews kind of didn't seem to understand what was going on in the movie, like what the movie was doing. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe it's because, and I have a theory about this, maybe it's because uh, at the time there were a lot of action comedies and so it was hard for them to look. And looking at it back now, I'm like, oh, this is like I'm in. This is like a. If someone watched and Cash when it came out, they're like, ugh, another one of these, and it doesn't make sense and it's dumb. Forget it. But looking at it now, you're like, this is a refreshing slice of madness that uh, I have. <laughs> yeah. That is nothing like the things that are being made right now.
0: Well, and I think that when I first tried to watch this, I knew it was a bad movie, and I was trying to watch it for being. A bad movie or not a bad movie necessarily we'll get to that but like a critical and commercial flop and and it even as like viewing ironically it confounded me and now i feel like i've cast away all preconceived notions and i can see that it's almost like more in the spirit of like i don't know like our man flint or something like a like a a super campy like globetrotting adventure and uh I don't know, but like I do want to say, let's not pretend that everything about this movie is uh, the product of calculation. Because <laughs> I, uh, my friend, I'll sh- I'll shout out my friend Kevin Cecil who uh, sent me a introduction that he did to this movie when he presented it. Uh, yeah, I think it was either at the Nighthawk or the Alamo. I can't recall, but um, but this movie, like the character of Hudson Hawk, is based on a song that like Bruce Willis. Bruce was playing harmonica in like the
1: House of Blues or somewhere
0: like no, no, that. He and was playing guy...
1: harmonica when he was still a bartender.
0: No, no, no. I'm saying that he was playing harmonica at a, this place, uh-huh. and like he just got up and started joining in with the band no. unasked for. Oh yeah, I'm just saying this is and,
1: not this was not a, this was before he was famous that this happened. So it wasn't right. I probably wasn't like the stage of the House of Blues. There was like a band playing at a bar somewhere, you know.
0: Uh well, I mean, my point is, he did it without. Like, it's not like he was in the band, so it could have been either one. What was he? Yeah. In? But what the did band called him up like on stage. I
1: need to know more. Well, the reason I bring well, this wouldn't
0: have gotten so fucking convoluted if Elliot no, didn't no, jump Dan, in with the relevancies. No, no.
1: The reason I bring it up is because this is something that this is an idea that was in Bruce Willis's head for a long time. This character of Hudson Hawk, the celebrity thief. You
0: know. Yeah, Elliot, that was the thing that I was explaining. You didn't need to jump in and hijack it. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I apologize. I was a real Hudson Hawk there, cat burglaring in to, t- to take control.
0: Yeah, the point is, uh, he, this, he like, came up with this character with one of his like blues buddies... And, uh, like in the and hit movie, was, yes. The Blues Buddies. <laughs> yes, and this was before, uh, as you say, uh, Bruce Willis was famous in any way, but he like always said like he was going to make this movie about this character <laughs> that they came up with for a song long ago. And uh, turned this into a movie, and then meanwhile, like Steven E. Souza like wrote the script for this, the Die Hard guy. But then they brought in Daniel Waters, who wrote Heather's and Demolition Man and Batman Returns, and then less awesome things like The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. I assume to like weird up the script a little. But then Bruce Willis kept rewriting all the stuff on set to his own like whims, his like Bruno whims. It was a little Uh, bit like
1: with Doolittle, where it apparently Robert Downey Jr. would just come to the set and be like, "Hey, what if I gave an anima to a dragon?" And they're like, "Okay, like it's your movie. Go ahead. We're gonna. I guess that's what's gonna happen in this movie now. That people are gonna pay money to go see that we're gonna release (laughs) in theaters as a professional thing." But Dan, I think uh, probably there's a lot of we'll get we'll we'll talk more about the behind the scenes shenanigans because this was a very difficult shoot. But I will say, as you said, not everything was kind of like. was according to plan, but how could that be yes. when the first time it was released on Blu-ray in 2013, it was included as a set with Hollywood Homicide, starring Harrison Ford and Josh Hartnett, which is clearly exactly <laughs> where it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> with some random movie no one cared about from 12 years later. Guys, let's talk about... Either, let, wait. Okay. okay or let, unless you have, no, I, just, I just wanted to
0: say, to the listener, uh, I feel like there's been a lot of concern about how much more irritable we are with one another of late uh, from listeners. They like the show because of the friendship. I just want to say it's because of the friendship. That we can be irritable to one another <laughs> and then just ignore it five seconds I, I, later. I have to
1: imagine Dan. I've not heard any any worries or complaints. Oh, I, yeah! Look at all these letters, sacks and sacks full of letters addressed to Santa Claus, which I guess is me asking at Santa Claus for Christmas. Can you please have Elliot be meaner to Dan? And I'm like, <laughs> all right. If if Chris if Chris Kringle, noted anti semite wants me to do it, then <laughs> sure, okay. I mean, <laughs> <then> go ahead. <laughs> I'm speaking to the
0: sensitive listener, Elliot, the one like me who uh, worries about things that have have no
1: bearing on his life. Okay, that's fair. Now we should get into the movie, since I do have seven and a half pages of notes about what happens. <laughs> in Long. Oh no! So this is going to be buckle up, boys. Okay, so uh, this the movie begins as the best movies do, with a giant illuminated tome telling the story of Da Vinci's. Oh, the best. This so how Da Vinci was supposed to build an enormous bronze horse statue. That's a true story. He was. Uh, commissioned to do that i think eventually they did build that statue like sometime in the last 15 years or so based on his original plans but as they explain bronze got scarce because of all the wars you you need bronze for wars because nothing wins wars Mm. like bronze and so he's (laughs) so he makes a big uh what i would call steampunk but i'm wrong about that because according to wikipedia it's clock punk technology it predates steam so, oh. uh by which i mean it predates the peter gabriel song steam uh <laughs> so it's it's a clockwork machine that turns he wants to turn lead into bronze but uh oh he did it wrong using his three magic metally crystally jaggedy pieces that when you put them together mm-hmm. into puzzle and you hit him with a laser it turns lead into gold bump bump um, and we spend a lot of time watching doctor, Dr. Da Vinci, watching Leonardo Da Vinci, uh, <laughs> uh, who is not a doctor. Do not take medical advice from him. Oh, wait, no, hold <laughs> no, on. No. Now we
0: got to sell this to CBS. Now, okay. oh, CBS like, the rest of the podcast is beating out the pilot to Dr. I mean, da Vinci. I mean, Dan,
1: honestly, like if we could sell that to CBS tomorrow, that's what separates <laughs> us from – Rich, expe- uh, fa- famous television producers is I say Dr. Da Vinci and I'm like that's stupid he wasn't a doctor and they would be like yes it's Leonardo Da Vinci but he's a doctor this is perfect it's like house meets uh, what's, a, what's an old timey th- meets uh, the Da Vinci Code they, sell it Dan why are we not selling this right now
3: <sighs> I don't know anyway this uh, is a whole section of the movie that I did not remember actually at all like I did not remember how it opened this this Da Vinci Code nonsense is like completely was like seeing it with fresh eyes it's, it's so absurd and it
1: takes it's so it takes a long time and it was obviously very expensive yeah. and the movie does not need it uh there's like a little bit of like kind of jokey voiceover and then it's just in Italian with no subtitles Da Vinci walking through his workshop just yelling things at people and then putting on sunglasses so he can watch the laser turn bronze into turn lead into gold. And then he and I, he tricks someone into testing a glider. That'll come up later. <laughs> we have to see that glider work because we know you need to know that someone has a has a glider. And he walks past He's painting Mona Lisa, but he hasn't painted in the smile yet, and she smiles and she's got terrible teeth. Oh, boy, that's a joke for the art crowd. That's a highbrow joke. <laughs> and
0: then, uh, There's going to be a second tooth joke soon, but uh, I, w- I want to say uh, perhaps part of the reason this was roundly rejected by the public is, uh, I, I you know, I was watching this this with Audrey who had no prior sort of context for the movie or idea of what to expect, and it was very confusing to... A start with Leonardo da Vinci, and then B uh, have everyone in the movie sort of off the bat talking about like old timey tough guys, and it, it was just like it, I, she had a reaction that I I didn't understand, but I think other people like perfectly reasonable to have was like what is this movie? Where is it set? Like when is it set? Like w- what type of thing is this? And I think that people who don't see a lot of movies are less comfortable with uh, not knowing exactly what type of movie they're seeing. I can you know? see that.
1: Well, I think also there's certain types of movies that you expect to come in certain forms. I think this is a corollary to what you're saying, much as my, uh, my I-know-who-killed-me theorem, which is that if I know who killed me had been in Italian, people would be like, oh, look what it does with color. It doesn't matter that the plot doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at it. It's a, it's a dreamscape. I think if Hudson Hawk was a Hong Kong movie... With Hong Kong yeah. actors, the clashing of tones and the craziness, people would be like, "I love it! It's crazy! It's like a goofy cartoon." But to have an American movie with American actors and a lot of and it's a huge name cast and British actors yeah. to have them all in it, it's like, "What is going on here?" Whereas the same movie from another country, I think people might have been like, "Those goofballs in that other country—they make these crazy, <laughs> yeah. these crazy movies. Oh boy!" Yeah. You know,
3: I, I remember when I watched it the first time, I was. Into I was watching a lot of Monty Python movies and it sort of Mm. fit squarely into that in my head. And one of the reasons why I think my brain accepted it at that time and was rejected by other people at that time was the same sort of thing. Like it felt (laughs) if I I got it, I I didn't think it was altogether successful, but at least I got what, what was going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is not altogether successful. And there's one scene in particular, which I think is, we'll get, it's probably the scene everyone is assuming, is, I think, maybe one of the worst scenes in the history of film. But uh, we'll get to it. So so now, flash forward 500 years later, and we're introduced to cat burglar Eddie, the Hudson Hawk. Now... Is his last name Okay, oh, his last name is Hawkins. Okay, because sometimes the characters call him Eddie, sometimes they call him Hawk, and sometimes they call him Hudson. And I was very unsure at any point which of those words was actually part of his real name. Uh, but he's a, he's a famous cat burglar. We meet him on the day he's getting out of jail, and he's so smooth. And you know that because he's got three earrings in one ear, none in the other, I believe. <laughs> and he's got a black fedora <laughs> and a black trench coat and a black T-shirt and black slacks and black shoes. By,
0: by the way, those clothes, Carolina, the- clothes that—
1: and a Cadillac, gar- yeah, thanks. The boys of Time Bomb. R- You're saying, Stuart, that okay. the boys of Time Bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to say that uh, the releasing officer uh, makes fun of him for wearing the same clothes when presumably these are the clothes that he came in with when he was arrested. Like, I don't think that you could be like, oh, check out Mr. Prisoner over here wearing the same thing that he came in with. Oh, crazy. <laughs> what a loser.
3: Can't even yeah. online shop? yeah don't you get the J.
1: Cruz catalogs and behind bars come on come on guy come on consider
2: the real real Consignment for less. But
3: this is also <laughs> the first moment where I, I realized again I forgot that this is an R-rated movie. Like the parole officer says, "Fuck" for the first time, and then I was like, "Oh well, they used up their fuck for the first time. Then that he's got to be no fucks from here on out." But it is uh, full of fucks after that. <laughs> it's, yeah, this
1: movie, you could say it doesn't give a fuck, but it actually gives dozens of them. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and it that's has it's no something that, being an R-rated movie it makes no sense no, whatsoever.
1: It, this should be a PG-13 movie, and it, but it shows it's 1991, and in 19 like it's an, interesting to see how. How things shift. Like, in the 80s, you could have a PG-rated comedy that had nudity in it. In the 90s, if you were making an action movie, people were just going to swear the shit out of that action movie. Yeah. And But now, like, even if you're making a horror movie, they're going to want it to be a PG-13 movie. Yeah. And, yeah. like, it's, a, it's just interesting the way that that goes back. Like, you'll watch movies from back then, and you're like, this would not fly now. But also... The, the the swearing is so gratuitous. Any movie where that where a big plot point is the character being able to sing old standards with his buddy, like mm-hmm. there's not really a reason why it should be an R-rated movie and
3: they should be swearing all the time. Not only a big uh, plot point, <laughs> the best plot point. Uh, yeah. that's, this
1: is where you and I maybe are again on opposite poles. Uh, so, uh, Eddie, his parole officer, immediately tries to threaten him into robbing a, a, an auction house, and he's like, come on, it's my first day out of jail, you want me to go back to being a criminal again? Uh, but he's that's, a real... That's
2: your, wait, that's your Bruce Willis?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, Bruce Willis. Well, the thing is, I can't do 90s Bruce Willis. I can do now's Bruce Willis, where he's like, hey, yeah." Uh, Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be going back there anymore. I can do, like, current sad all the time Bruce Willis. Uh, But I don't think I can do, like, the Bruce Willis back when his thing was jokes. I can do the Bruce Willis now when his thing is that he's always on the verge of crying.
0: I mean, I think old Bruce Willis had the same sort of uh, lack of enthusiasm for stuff. He was just a lot uh, smugger about it. So if you can just sort of combine those two things. Okay,
1: he is very smug. And I think that's the other thing that turned people off instantly is that Bruce Willis is so incredibly smug in this, especially for a character who never really seems to be in real danger and always gets what he wants. I mean, that's what makes him smug is he's all, he always ends up on top. And sometimes that's funny when it happens here, but there are times when it's like, it, it, this, the, the, it, the movie is so like, you love this guy. He's so funny. Oh Look God. at him. He's your favorite. Don't you want to, don't you want to like be him? Don't you want to do him and be him? Don't you want to mm-hmm. be him and do him? So it's two of him doing each other. And like, wouldn't that be the best? And it's, it's very and
0: and i think that's you feeling the influence of bruce willis like co-writer and you know driving creative force behind this in the movie
1: he also he does have some of the worst quips i've ever heard in a in a in a not worst movie in the world action movie. he has like and i have to assume he ad-libs some of them but they're they're terrible they're just terrible jokes
3: but but also the time at the time I was more bought into him. He he's kind of like Bruce Willis at this mm. time is kind of like a, you know like a a kid who's like 2 years older than you like you're 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 13 he's 15 and he has a popped collar and he's like he's like super cool and you think he's amazing and you just want to be him and then you get like 2 years older and you're like that guy was a loser like that guy <laughs> yeah. sucks and but at the time he's just <laughs> fascinating. And so he has that like my tolerance for his smugness. Uh, has dropped precipitously in the 30 years since this movie came out.
1: I think that says a lot about your maturing as a person, and I am proud of you, Roman. That you that you that you you didn't stick with that love of Bruce Willis as like the ultimate dude. Oh man, look at this guy! And you are probably onto like what like more of a Jeff Bridges yeah, type to, of uh, admiration. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah, I feel I feel like once you reach a certain age, you you transfer from Bruce Willis to Jeff Bridges, and you are like, oh, I should have always felt this way, but you can't. It's impossible. <laughs> no. like Jeff Bridges, one, he doesn't make that many movies that kids and teenagers see, and number two, it's just a kind of a deeper sort of dudeness that eventually. We'll get old, and we'll find Jeff Bridges to be smug, and that's when it's all Charles Derning all the time. <laughs> and we just know that Charles Derning is just like the coolest guy with the smoothest moves.
0: I mean, that's the most logical progression. It of, goes Bruce Willis,
1: it's Jeff like the, Bridges, Charles Durning. The descent Derning, of man you, right there. Yeah, exactly. And then you die, and you go all the way back around, and you're like, Eric von Stroheim has it going on in all these movies <laughs> Recent evil German. Amazing. Okay, anyway, so Eddie, he gets out of jail, Right as he's leaving the doors, his best friend—that's right, John, Tommy Five Tone, Danny Aiello, pulls up in his in his fancy old car. <laughs> he hands him an espresso, which is he knows is the thing that, or it's a cappuccino, the thing that he knows that that Eddie wants more than anything else. And I have to imagine he must have gotten it before driving up to the prison, so it must be so lukewarm by now, if not cold. <laughs> but Bruce yeah. Willis just cannot wait to have this cold coffee in a in a diner cup. Uh, they go back to Five Tones uh tommy's bar which bruce willis is i guess a co-owner of maybe uh which uh yeah. in the time he was in prison it went from a from a cool kind of probably not guys who are connected but guys who want to be connected you know kind of the old neighborhood type type yeah. guys it turned into a real yuppie hangout that even has yeah. the most horrible food bruce willis can imagine reindeer goat cheese pizza now let's stop for a moment Is it goat cheese pizza with reindeer meat? Or is it that when you make reindeer cheese, you also call it goat cheese because it's more similar to goat cheese in consistency than cow cheese? Dan, you're the culinary expert. Please explain. What is reindeer goat cheese pizza?
0: (laughs) You know, I guess this would... All right. When I heard it, I thought it was referring to a type of cheese. The whole thing was referring to a type of cheese. And I thought that because later in the movie... Uh, Bruce Willis says, go back to your reindeer goat cheese as okay. if that was the thing and not like the pizza was not an important part of that. But reindeer meat with goat cheese uh, definitely would make more logical sense. I will I... say that this is how also you also know what time period this is because the worst. Uh, th- threat America was facing was yuppies and <laughs> the yeah. ascent of yuppies.
1: Well, it's kind of like how when we watched Howard the Duck, uh, that live show is up on our YouTube channel. When we watched Howard the Duck, it was like just, it was a just a joke that a restaurant would serve sushi. The idea yeah. of a fusion restaurant that had sushi in it was like instant, instant joke and that dates that movie. Now, according to IMDb Trivia, Bruce Willis also mentions reindeer goat cheese pizza in The Last Boy Scout. So does that mean these movies are in the same cinematic universe? The reindeer goat cheese pizza cinematic <laughs> universe or RGCPCU? I feel
2: like he must have had one bad experience with reindeer goat cheese. Right? And he's like, I mean, I, I don't know where he'd get it, it but <laughs> and do, he, you think, had... do you think there's a chance that it was just reindeer cheese? It just happens to be the greatest of all time reindeer cheese. Oh, that could be
1: it. It was sold to him as greatest of all time cheese from a reindeer, and he never let it go. Okay, yes, now it makes perfect sense. Thank you, Stuart, uh, for explaining that to me. Uh, now, here is where uh, a mobster gets Bruce Willis's attention by shooting the espresso cup out of his hand. Uh, the fact that that bullet would not, be, would not be stopped by the cup, but would instead go keep going and kill someone is never attended <laughs> yeah. to similar much later in the movie bruce willis a, a bullet bounces off his belt buckle which is crazy that's and it's not like he has a big crazy belt buckle it's just a regular men's belt buckle yeah. that would have I mean, killed him
0: <laughs> yeah and this also sets up the like the character arc for the entire movie which is uh Will, willis's search for cappuccino being thwarted at every turn this is kind of a birds of prey egg sandwich situation yeah the, mm-hmm. this here, was very so. frustrating
3: okay. This was
1: yeah. (laughs) Every time he wants a cappuccino, he just it's it's a real uh, discreet charm of the bourgeoisie uh, that's going on in the background of this movie, where he just cannot get that cappuccino.
0: You know, I've been talking about stress dreams with a lot of people lately. For I I don't know what the reason I've been talking about stress (laughs) dreams right now, but um. But I was saying that my most common type of stress stream is there is a relatively simple task that I need to perform, I want to perform, and things keep getting in my way. I'm gonna need an and example. So, uh, <laughs> what? I need an example of one of these simple tasks.
1: Yeah, paint a word uh, picture.
0: Like I, oh, there was one where it's just like I have to like look up something, and I can't like I can't get. The computer to work. I can't like find a, like a reference book. Like yeah. all this. Like I, I mean, I forget my dreams pretty quickly because they're also extremely elaborate, <laughs> like uh. baroque nonsense that keeps shifting genre. But we, uh, al- we uh, often forget like feel, elaborate man? things. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. I I see what's happening here. <laughs> I get. I get the bit. So uh,
2: and my Venmo for this session is. Uh... <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Dan... Well, I mean, fair enough.
0: <laughs>
1: you did the work, Dan. So... I'm going to write you a prescription for 100 milligrams of nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> oh, so if you could shit. take this <laughs> ten times a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: shit. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. I'm just kidding. I'm fascinated by your subconscious. It's a crazy place. Okay, so it uh, turns out the cup was shot out of his hand by some thugs led by these mobsters, the Mario brothers. Get it? It's a joke. Uh, one They're two Mario brothers. Frank Stallone is the brains of the group, which gives you an indication of the level of these mobsters. Uh, they threaten yeah, And him. you'll want-
0: recognize Frank Slo- Stallone because he looks exactly like his brother. Uh, only a little less droopy. I mean, he looks
1: like a guy who got surgery to look like Sylvester Stallone. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he uh, they want him to pull off this heist of the auction house, the same one that the parole officer was trying to get him do. And Danny Ayo, he smashes a wine bottle over one of their heads, uh, and they leave. But they're still. Threatening him, so he's got. To, they, he's got to go do this this heist. He just got out of jail. As he continues to remind everybody throughout the movie, uh, as they're preparing, uh, they're going over the robbery plan, and Danny Io is quizzing Eddie on the lengths of different songs. This is. His amazing skill, besides being a cat burglar, is he knows the exact length to the second of every song that you ask him. Uh, according to IMDb, tri- IMDb Goofs, he's often wrong in his answers, but the movie <laughs> takes them as you, totally correct.
3: You're treating that as if those two things are unrelated, but they are joined facts. The reason why he's such a good cat burglar is because he knows all the length of these songs, because that is his timing watch, it's the length and of I the wonder- songs.
1: I wonder yeah. if that's something that is a way of them trying to like make him into a fantasy figure is it's like, well, I could never be a cat burglar, but I do know how long that song is. Like all these music <laughs> nerds are like, hey, maybe I could do it, too. Um, I The thing that uh, I, I, it's going to
0: seem so weird for me to object to the reality of this in Hudson Hawk, mm-hmm. the movie Hudson Hawk. But uh, the thing that bothered me is I feel like if this was a guy who's like, I know the length of to the second of every Sinatra song or old standard like yeah sure but it seems like he knows every song in that like he's asked about Mariah Carey singing the national anthem at uh the Super Bowl well, at they, one point they
1: mentioned in the goofs that uh on IMDb that uh he says that the, it takes uh, he they say how long does Whitney Houston sing the national anthem and he goes seven mm-hmm. minutes and in actuality it was like someone else sang it at that Super Bowl and it was two and a half minutes and then it's only after I read that goof that I was like yeah, seven minutes is a crazy amount of time to sing the National Anthem. <laughs> yeah. Like, is she singing every verse, even the bad ones? Even, like, the ones that <laughs> that are offensive? Like, what is going— And, like, I know when you're, like, a soul or or, or a hip-hop-type singer, you really extend those syllables, and you can really extend a song. But, like, that seems like—for a- the National Anthem, you got to believe that uh-huh. the Super Bowl producers were tapping their watches, and they're like, she's, she's eating into the commercial time. Like, we so, cannot— yeah. And we and we need to and we need to have the premiere of Friends right after the Super Bowl. We said in the commercials right after the Super Bowl, like we, just pull her mic. She can't even yeah. finish. We'll yeah. just we'll just end on uh, on Rocket's Red Glare, and then we don't need the rest of the song. Like, now, come on.
2: Now Elliot was was finding out that piece of information was that the straw that broke the camel's back, and you're like, I don't know <laughs> what to trust anymore. Were you like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> is, is this my computer or is it uh, a cake? like is i'm it just sort of thing uh, <laughs> i'm just like the guy in
1: the guy in maltese falcon who almost got hit by a girder i walked away from my family walked away from <laughs> my job i just said if I, I live in a world where there are no standards and i've gotta i've gotta start over anew and that's why i gotta yeah. tell everybody this is my last episode of the flop house next week oh, i'll be starting even... i'll be starting my new podcast hey what which is me just kind of not knowing what things are going on just kidding this is my last episode of the podcast i'm gonna do probably a thousand more episodes
0: yeah, uh, I would say too. Uh, I would be perfectly happy for this to uh, be moved over to incorrectly regarded as goofs, under the assumption that the hawk is just fucking with him. If not for, as Roman says, the fact that this is integral to his uh, cat burglaring, like to know the that of these. It
2: is
3: also we'll integral to me enjoying the movie at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to tell you the okay. Truth.
1: Interesting. This is what unlocked the movie for me. Is is its ridiculousness
3: so the, I, of this premise.
1: What's funny is when that when the bullet shatters his coffee cup and he just like does a Jack Benny slow burn look, that's when I started realizing I don't think this movie is on the level. I think this movie might be messing with me. But then uh, this next scene really pulls it off.
3: But it's really one of those things that shows you the the mix of tone in that sometimes violence is just goofy. The coffee cup exploding and sometimes violence is a bunch of syringes in your face and it's sort of like the yeah. tone of this thing just bounces back and forth in these incredible ways that uh, and also, is, is it, crazy.
1: And it gets... Increasingly cartoony at an increasing pace. Like I'm sure somebody could do the algebraic formula that talks about the increasing rapid rate of cartoonists as the movie goes on. And by the end of it, I was just like, "All right, like I can't even, yeah. like I, I don't even, <laughs> I don't, cannot pretend to care what happens to these characters." Yeah. As we'll see when, uh, when James Coburn's martial arts abilities cause Bruce Willis to be trapped in a just swiveling <laughs> at the yes. waist uh, loop.
2: Unlocks them in that animation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, they go and they do. They're going to do this elaborate job. Yep. They got to take. Use uh, pool lifesavers to uh, to get on a rope and walk across this building, and the whole time they've got to f- switch the security tapes so that the guards don't notice. And the whole time they are having a ball; they are laughing, they are joking. There is no suspense on their part. They could—they are mm-hmm. so. This is when the smugness really got to me because it was like they are so confident in their abilities to pull off this heist that at no point do they ever betray that they're even taking it seriously or care that much about it.
0: You know? Well, there's also this constant pattern of like kind of busting each other's balls. That's all of it's in the form of jokes, like like Bruce Willis. Really thought that these were all jokes but none of them are really funny mm-hmm. none of this like yeah this banter that it they're basically just comes doing. down to
1: him being like hey you're fat Danny IO. hey hey <laughs> no no you're looking good you're looking good you're fat so hey like that's basically the level <laughs>
3: and it has the classic heist trope of not telling each other what they're going to do during this elaborate yes. heist which is something <laughs> which that is, always just... amazes me
1: Especially since they we had a scene right before this where they're supposed to be going over the plan for the heist, but they keep surprising each other, and it's almost like they are they're a, they're a, a heist couple that has been doing this for so long that they're so bored with each other. The only way they can keep the spark alive is to constantly surprise each other in the heist room and just kind of keep kind of keep pulling tricks so that they keep each other on their toes. You know, like it's like oh let's let's role play during this heist. Let's say during this heist that I'm the school principal and you're a naughty student. Okay, but we're still stealing a horse statue from an auction of tacky horse art, right? Yes, of course. That's exactly what we're doing. But maybe I handcuff you, but they're Mm -hmm. like fuzzy handcuffs. Like, that's what it feels like. They really got to get the the spark back in.
0: Yeah, and they've got this elaborate song-based timing thing. And I kept wondering, like, so does the timing of the song figure in, like, the way that they're going everywhere really slowly because they're (laughs) dancing along to their own singing? And does it, like, figure in the fact that after the heist, they just kind of stand around congratulating each other for a while? (laughs) This
1: is the problem, is that the song... The idea of a heist time to a song is a really neat idea. And you could build a real neat uh, sequence about it. But it fails for these reasons. One, smug up the wazoo. They're so (laughs) smug about it. Two, they're singing, would you like to swing on a star? Which is, I'm just going to say it a dumb song it's a standard but i think it's a really dumb song three it doesn't like you're saying it does not line up with any of the things that they're actually doing and four it's not the same length as the heist so they do end up having all this dead time at the end where they're just kind of killing time when they should be leaving you know
0: yeah and i i i am glad that you brought up uh the song would you like to swing on a star um because i was thinking about it after the movie i'm like i like that song i think like the tune for instance is is great and like the 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 chorus i like quite a bit but there's two problems with it one it posits uh, that you the listener doesn't know what various animals are and need them explained to you and two it gives this world where your your two options are either being turned into an animal or swinging on a star, which I don't think, I I can't relate to that uh, I mean, to to be
1: honest, there's a fantasy movie in the world that that song describes where you reach the age of like, what, 13? And you have a choice of either becoming a celestial being who cannot interact with the physical world like you swing on stars that's how you control your trajectory as a spirit being through space and you get to see all these amazing wonders you're part of the ether and part of the firmament of the heavens but you can't enjoy regular life or you become the lowest of brute animals and you can take Mm. part in the physical pleasures of life feet eating rutting pooping but you'll never know any of the higher pursuits of you know the, the the cosmos and so i mean that's i mean it maybe it's not a movie maybe it's like a short story uh, but, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what the song is about. But as it comes out now, it's just two guys who, like every Italian man of a certain age, believes he can sing just like Tony Bennett. And, <laughs> and it's just belting it out while kind of like half chuckling to himself. And they're like, it's it really seems to get in the way of the robbery i guess that's what the problem is that i have with it uh but they do manage to steal the scale model of da vinci's horse their mischief gets noticed they've got to run from the guards bruce willis bongs their heads together and it makes like a bonk hanna-barbera sound effect which is the kind of thing i always love but you gotta you you gotta prepare me for it in some way it can't come out of nowhere (laughs) i gotta i gotta know this is like there's it's if it just let me know ahead of time it's the kind of movie where i'm gonna be able to hear where you might hear see someone run and hear bongo noises at the same time i just need to know Yeah, for
2: instance the heist could be taking place in, like, Toontown or something, right? (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or, like, for
1: instance, when in the moment in Godzilla Final Wars, when Rodan's wings flap and create a wind, Uh and a cop's hat and a pimp's hat fly off their heads, and you hear, zing! By that point, you know this is the kind of movie where there might be a sound effect when someone's hat flies off Mm -hmm. their head. It's not totally taking you by surprise. But... (laughs) I digress. Uh, They manage to escape by jumping off the skyscraper, an awning that rips almost instantly manages to break their fall, and rather than having all their bones shattered or dying, they end up in the apartment of Eddie's parole officer. He's delivering the horse, and that's when, uh uh-oh, a new character enters, the first of an increasing series of goofy characters, as a kind of uh, butler assassin, an English butler assassin comes in, and he dresses like a butler and has a bowler hat, And he has an English accent. So everyone just assumes he's a butler, and he does turn out to be a butler. So I thought it was just a quip that Bruce Willis was making. But no, he was accurately identifying in the wild this life form, the English butler. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, he, He accepts the horse and then smashes it. Inside is one of the pieces of the gold-making machine. Then, for some reason, he uses a retractable knife in his sleeve to kill Hawk's Pearl Officer by just slashing his throat open. Don't know why he did that. And then he leaves. <laughs> 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 and he doesn't kill the other witnesses. He just... He just does that. Uh, Now, this was also the first moment in the movie where it was like real hardcore violence. And again, the tone of it was like, again, if if this was a Hong Kong movie, I'd be like, yep, I'm ready to see someone's head explode and then see a scene where someone cries over their best friend being in the hospital and then a scene where someone's slipping on paint and they just fall down and get all Mm paint messy. But- Again, in an American movie, I was like, "Whoa, that was more extreme than I thought it was going to be." How did you guys take it? How did it affect you guys? Roman sitting in the theater, we were like, "Whoa, cool." Or you were you like, "What?" Or were you just like, "Huh?" Or were you just like not paying attention or maybe you'd gotten up to use the bathroom at that point. I don't know. <laughs> Fill me in.
3: I mean, I don't know if I was as shocked at it at the time, but I definitely feel it today where it was just like that doesn't that you know like i I was pretty down with any type of violence that could happen uh at the time yeah and so now i notice it as being sort of incongruous but it but but i like but the whole scene starts with him you know they, they they jump through the awning and then it it cuts to him falling through onto the barca lounger in the apartment and so and again this is one of those things where i'm like I I don't know if I want more of that movie but at least it's something. You know like there's a, yeah. you know like, and then and then he comes in with the, the the knife and slits a throat and you're just like what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: like, there's, and there's a there's a better version of that exact bit later in the movie. But there was a moment where I was like wait, did he fall through an awning or did he fall through the roof of an apartment? <laughs> yeah. Or did is there a, an apartment under the sidewalk under the awning and he fell through like uh-huh. it's a very confusing cut. But yeah, it's like this is a it's a movie that it's almost like a movie that's like it's like an optometrist, and they're like, you like it like this, or do you like it like this? Better right. number one, mm-hmm, or better right. number two? Better if it's a heist thriller, or better if it's a goofy comedy? Better if it's super violent, or better if it's, a, it's like <laughs> Hanna-Barbera sound effects? Better if they say the swear words a lot, or better if the jokes are like things that a, a 10-year-old would enjoy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess what I'm saying is Hudson Hawk has something for everybody. Put it on the DVD box. <laughs> Elliot Kalin from the Blophouse. <laughs> uh,
2: has, uh, has David Caruso shown up yet? No, uh, he, he is That's about it, to. Okay. He's He's about announced. to. The next
1: day, the robbery has the been.
0: The weird thing is, Stuart asked that about every <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next day, uh, the robbery uh, has been covered up. The auction is still going on for this horse statue. Eddie goes to the auction to see what's going on. He asks, he's like, how much does a tuxedo cost? And then you see him in the most 1991 tuxedo. Uh, Roman, you're you're the design expert. Please explain this.
3: He shows up like a member of the revolution, a princess revolution, and it is just glorious. And if you could, you know, if there's a still of an image that represents 1991, you know, like this is it. It is beautiful. This, it has uh, nice uh, padded shoulders, no tie, because who has no, time for no. that nonsense uh-uh. when it comes to a tuxedo? <laughs> and oh, it is cut beautifully. It is absurd. Socks for days. Like it has loafers, really low loafers, and just socks that just are like the Great Plains. Um, it is just <laughs> glorious. <laughs> It is, it's
1: a it's a beautiful tuxedo the, and he's not the only one who's dressed yeah, up because there's also a,
2: it's the kind of it's the kind of tuxedo you might wear uh, if you were escorting Cindy Crawford to a Planet Hollywood opening, you know, <laughs> you know?
1: that's I mean, that that seems like a very specific scenario. mean, uh, he
3: seems to be the only one wearing a tuxedo. So I don't know why this is required of this particular no, job.
1: It's like I wish there was a joke about it where it was like he thinks that every auction is like a black tie event so he's in a tuxedo and everyone else is in just kind of like suits but no there's also yeah well with no tie of course yeah (laughs) but there's also uh a bunch of people who we're not sure who they are but they're also very they're also dressed up like dick tracy villains circa 1991 Mm. uh in the back uh one of them being that's right the star of jade David Caruso. (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll get to him. Um, They ask... I was trying to
0: explain who (laughs) David Caruso was, and I'm like, uh, okay, well, if you haven't seen NYPD Blue... And you have no idea what Jade, the movie he <laughs> left in YPD Blue for, is uh, – I don't know. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. Later on I'm like, oh, yeah, he's in that CSI show. That's the yeah, that's the current David Caruso
1: context. I mean and even that is like a 12-year-old David Caruso context. But it's it's <laughs> yeah. hard to – it's hard, it would be hard to explain to someone what a big deal it was that David Caruso left NYPD Blue after one season to make Jade. Yeah. Like, I was a kid, and I remember it being something that I was aware of, that a show I had never watched, the star of it who I had never heard of before, was leaving to make a movie I would never see. And yet somehow the this was... The erotic
0: action thriller, Jade. Th-
1: th- it was a big deal that he was going to be in... Dave, he was going to be in the <laughs> Esther House follow-up to Basic Instinct. Like, oh man. Mm-hmm. it was a, It was a simpler time, by which I mean a time when the decisions of... White men were just of a higher importance, an inflated importance, some would say, uh, an unreal, unnecessary importance. So uh, he goes to the auction house and he knows that this horse is a fake because he stole the horse. And yet auction expert Andy McDowell attests that the horse is real by holding it briefly for a moment. Oh, uh, it, holding it briefly. And
3: this is tries- the first of a series of time in which people touch priceless artifacts with their bare hands which really stressed oh, me yeah. out a lot
1: <laughs> oh yeah but later when he steals a leonardo da vinci codex and he's just pulling it he he's that like shoots it with a dart and then pulls it with a grappling hook <laughs> yeah. up into the air and i was like that thing is falling apart there's no way <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but it's
0: also, also before he knows that andy mcdowell is the appraiser he kind of like tries to hit on her by saying something about oh i guess if you want to get into art you have to look like a constipated warhog or warthog or something like that and I'm like, okay, first off, that's a terrible pickup line. But second, <laughs> like, she's at the art auction. Why would you think that insulting people at an art auction would be the way to go? Because he's, he's Brucey e. W., he's gambling it. that
2: she's there, ironically.
1: and it's clear that she notices the horse and also the gloves that could have helped to build the suspense like he's like "Uh uh-oh she's gonna know it's a fake as she's putting the gloves on and getting ready but they don't do that she just picks it up she knows it's a (laughs) fake she looks at him and then says oh no it's real it's the real da vinci horse statue that's when who bursts in but the best character one of the two best characters in the whole movie that's right darwin mayflower the eccentric mean billionaire played by the great immortal Richard E. Grant. And this is the book I've been, uh, this movie, I've been wanting to read Richard E. Grant's memoirs for a long time. And it wasn't until I watched this movie and in doing research realized an entire chapter of his his book is about Hudson Hawk oh. that I ordered it. I was like, I have to read it now. Totally. Uh, <laughs> he, he's so he good. Walked,
3: he is he's so, so good, good at it.
1: He's like he's the only person in the movie who I feel like him and Sandra Bernhard are the only people who are accurately getting the tone of the movie, Absolutely. which is big and dumb. And like he you, just walks in and he walks in and yells a hundred million dollars clams, hundred million clams. Million clams? <laughs> I, is that what he said? Oh, I forgot.
0: <laughs> I, I will make the objection. I do think that they're the two people who get the tone, and I really like Sandra Bernhard in like kind of as a per, as a persona as like a performer. I don't think that her acting is very good here in Hudson Hall. Are that. you saying? Like,
1: are you saying the part of the the evil billionaire who wants to destroy the world by undermining the gold market with a fifteenth century machine that she didn't pull that off realistically? That you never <laughs> believed the situation?
0: I just think that she sometimes has some like complex lines that she has to spit at the camera, and they always sound like they're lines rather yeah. where richard e grant is you know like
1: i mean amazing. if you're getting me if you're trying to get back me into a corner where i argue that sandra bernhardt is as good an actor as richard e grant i'm gonna avoid that yeah. corner i'm not going in there <laughs> i'm not I, right. call me call me baby because you're not well, backing there, me there's into that a corner.
3: there's a stiffness to her that i feel like is a choice but it is definitely odd you yeah know, whereas yes. he is really hamming it up in a way that still feels yeah. like it comes from the character in some ways. Yeah. You can you I can think, see I, her choices, but I still think both of them. Like I would drop the Mayflowers as villains into any movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm concerned oh. <laughs> they're a, so good. Apparently
2: they're like they like team rocket of this movie. Uh yeah. Pokémon guys like Pokémon. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah,
1: team <laughs> rocket. Yeah, we got it. It's a guy and a girl, they're evil, they're all try, they're trying to catch them all. That, yeah, we and understand.
2: And they have a cat character. Kit Kat, I think I'm seeing a connection here, guys. Let me let me <laughs> yeah, get Pokemon back to my uh, connection board over here and draw some. Red <laughs> <Yeah>. string.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, so they are they are they are incredibly evil billionaires. I think you're right, Dan. That that uh, that Sandra Bernhardt is is much more stiffly performative in a way that I I agree Roman I think is on purpose. Whereas Richard E. Grant. You imagine he could just ad-lib in this character for 100 hours? Uh, Richard E. Uh, E.
2: Grant has a way of performing where he looks like he's shocked that he's allowed to get to do this. He's, like, so (laughs) excited. He's like, I can't believe it.
3: And he's so so, physical. Like, he jumps from, like, off a table and he thrusts his pelvis and stuff. He's just delightful. Yeah, Like, he's He's, making choices. just seem like the...
1: Yeah.
0: The physical manifestation of the phrase, joie de vivre. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well,
1: he's, he seems like he's the he's the guy also like that he is, it's kind of like Nicolas Cage in uh, Kiss the Vampire in that it's like, we're making this movie. It's crazy that I'm making this movie. So I'm going to go all out all the time. Like, it's almost like he's pushing himself to have as much fun as possible because he hates the movie that he's in so much. Did <laughs> you just but, call uh, that
2: movie Kiss the Vampire? <laughs>
1: A kiss of the vampire. <laughs> kiss the vampire was a booth that I had at a carnival. Did not go well. <laughs> people did not want to kiss that vampire. I, I, my mistake is instead of getting one of the sexy vampires, I got Nosferatu, yeah. and people were not yeah. crazy yeah. Yeah, about it. You, you
2: a Two vampire. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, come on.
1: Come on, Orlock, put on some uh, makeup or
0: something. <laughs> get that pale.
1: you know, Do, hide those ears put some, maybe. Put some rouge on those cheeks. <laughs> Wear a wig. Uh, so here's something that I learned while watching the mo- while reading about the movie afterwards is that, so originally the villain in the early drafts was a guy. Then they changed it to a woman, and apparently according to the thing I was reading, they tried to get Audrey Hepburn to come out of retirement oh, wow. to play the villain in this mm. movie, which would have been Bonkers. Yeah. It would have been <laughs> Quite a coup. incredibly bonkers. Yeah. But instead, they couldn't. So Bruce Willis was like, let's just have the man villain and the woman villain be in the same movie. Uh, I Bur- mean,
0: I, I feel like the fact that they wanted her, plus the fact that James Coburn is in this movie, maybe they were also that points to a charade influence on what they were trying to do. I
1: could see that. I think it, it's a, I mean, that was also at the time when like. Those are the movies that the stars of this—the people making this movie grew up on those movies, Mm -hmm. you know? So they wanted to—I should mention we're recording this on the day that Olivia de Havilland has—the news of her passing came around, and that was a moment for me that I was very—it really hit me hard that, like, that era of Hollywood is dead— Like, a couple weeks ago, I made Sammy watch The Adventures of Robin Hood, the Errol Flynn version, which he really liked a lot. And while we're watching it, Olivia de Havilland's in the movie, and I'm like, she's uh, still alive. Can you believe that? And she was like, that's amazing. I cannot tell him that anymore. Because at 104, she's dead. You know what they say? Fame. Ain't it a bitch? And by they, I mean A.J. Benza in uh, old promos for E! True Hollywood Story. Now, uh, (laughs) guys— Here's what happens. I don't think fame
0: is the problem, rather than the inexorable uh, progression of time. The curse and, of fame, uh, she'd still
3: be alive today if it wasn't for, wasn't fame. for fame. It always gets okay. you. One hundred and five, if it wasn't just for that fame that she had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well,
1: here's the thing: is that she was actually on a plane flight that was supposed to crash, but she escaped. And death has been trying. To, Tony Todd has been trying to track uh-huh. her down oh, ever since then, and it's been eighty years, and he finally got her.
0: I think we're g- going in a less sensitive direction. Suddenly. <laughs>
1: so, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, Sandra Bernhardt. Walks in, she outbids her partner for no reason. They waggle their tongues at each other instantly. I was like, I love these characters. Uh, and the guard
0: one dollar, which I don't think, I don't oh no, think it's a, with, sort of, uh... with I
1: think with one million dollars. I think it was a hundred and one million. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, okay. I mean, you could still like, say, what I thought they were doing a price is right, yeah,
1: a hundred million and one. It's like a hundred million and one and 50 cents. And the auctioneer is like, please, can we, I know we're starting at a hundred (laughs) million. This is already more than the the item was listed as, but still, let's not get caught in the weeds here. So uh, the guard notices Eddie, but Andy McDowell trips him. The auctioneer's gavel then explodes as he hits it on the ground, causing chaos. Uh, Eddie manages to save Andy McDowell from a falling pillar and then gets hit by a statue that swings on a wire. I guess it was suspended in the air above the room for some reason. Probably swinging Uh, from a star. Yeah, probably. The, <laughs> it was swinging from a star, and then it made the wrong choice and became a horse. Uh, so he wakes up in an ambulance. And now, the, we'll get to the Andy McDowell character later. What I also learned is that Isabella Rossellini was supposed to play this part, hmm. which also makes it makes a ton more sense, totally. seeing as she is supposed yeah. to be Italian. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he wakes up in an ambulance with the Mario Brothers mobsters. He manages to slam a whole thing full of hypodermic needles into the dumb brother's face, which for some reason causes the driver of the ambulance to lose control. I couldn't quite understand why oh, he, that happened. He grabbed his uh,
2: gun and started firing. That's when he lost control. Oh, that's
1: what it was. Uh eddie escapes on a gurney right onto the brooklyn bridge and we lead to my my i think actually my favorite moment of the movie when a woman in a convertible is driving by him on the square brooklyn bridge and She just goes hey are you gonna die and, <laughs> I, love and, that and, and I don't remember if he has a quip or not but i love that moment it's just like yes this is a movie where the bystander is if anything mildly entertained this man might die next to her
2: and he like uh, somebody throws a cigarette out their window and he catches it and smokes it and then he likes yeah. he has to throw change through the toll booth because he accidentally goes in the that, exact oh, exact change he lane. Somehow... That was a really good joke. I, I gotta
0: give it to Hudson. <laughs> He's on this runaway journey <laughs> headed toward the toll booth and he has to pick like change out of his pocket and th- hurl it so he doesn't get knocked off. Yeah, ruined only <laughs> by the fact joke. that
1: there is no toll booth there. They somehow ended <laughs> up on the on going into the into, I think, the battery tunnel <laughs> mm-hmm. uh from the Brooklyn Bridge. But anyway, the uh That he just keeps quipping the whole time. Finally, his gurney stops at the exact place where a group of CIA agents, that's right, David Caruso and his gang, are waiting for him. They're all named after candy bars. David Crusoe is named Kit Kat because he's mute. Don't know how they're connected. Uh, the big guy <laughs> is named Butterfingers because he's clumsy, even though he's strong. How he became a CIA agent is amazing because he's so dumb yeah. and constantly messing things up. Uh-huh. And there's two other CIA agents also.
0: Uh, they, they also seem like they really need to take a long time explaining that they're named after candy bars. Yes, I mean, especially considering that we all saw them with candy bars in their pockets because they're so on brand uh, uh, earlier.
1: Yeah, and this
0: in the movie. Kit Kat
1: manages to have pre-printed dialogue cards he hands to people that exactly fit the situation that they're in at the moment. It's a joke that should work, but it never—until it, the last one, I feel like it never <laughs> quite works. Uh, who walks out? That's right, it's their boss, James Coburn, who introduces himself as George Kaplan. That's a little nod for the movie fans out there, since George Kaplan is Dan—
0: uh, he is the uh, made-up uh, spy in North by Northwest. You got the it. One that people think Cary Grant is,
1: and it's like this movie is saying, "Hey." We're really the heirs to that kind of filmmaking, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't remember a Cary Grant, like, knocking two guards' heads together and making a bonk sound. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, whatever. Like, when he was hanging off the off Mount Rushmore, I don't remember him being like, hey, should we sing, uh, <laughs> hey, is this a good time to sing Me in My Shadow? Like, I don't think now, so. Now, Al-
0: Al- Elliot, be honest, uh, North by Northwest with a coconut bonk, better
1: or worse? <laughs> I think it's a lateral move Dan. I got to tell you. I think okay, right. it doesn't ruin what is a near perfect adventure movie, okay. but I don't think it impress improves it, you right. know. Uh so but <laughs> uh so they they knock him out and then he falls into a crate of packing peanuts. Mm-hmm. He then is taken out of the crate. He wakes up in an empty house in Rome and it's like this character it's, it's in the classic film noir tradition, it's constantly getting knocked out and waking up places. And it's almost like the movie forgot they did it already because they keep having that happen. To them. Uh, the killer butler is there. He takes him into Mayflower's high tech limo. It's so high tech that he has like some kind of ticker tape message mish- fax machine that he then can stuff into a shredder, and the shredder just shoots the shreds out into the streets of Rome. It's like, w- where can I get that car, guys? Did they ever make that? Is it real? Roman, you strike me as a real gearhead. Is that is that a real car? Yeah. I'm
3: not as far as I know. I have no idea. But the shredding is like is glorious. That's just it's perfect. Super villain, you know, like and yeah, then he even says, "I'm the villain." Like it just looks mm-hmm. so great.
1: Uh, he's so he's so aware of what he's doing. Uh, yeah. now, when, now, the moment they showed up in Rome again, you're 15 years old or so. You're watching this movie. Were you like finally a movie that speaks to
3: me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I was was totally confounded by it when it, when it happened. So at this point it was, I think it bludgeoned me into just like accepting what was going to happen next at this point.
1: Okay. And by this point you're like, I've seen what this movie has to offer me. No, I don't think you have, (laughs) unfortunately, because, (laughs) uh, they go to what I guess is like, uh, the Mayflower's office or conference room, but it's very clearly the lobby of a large building that they've made look like an office or conference room where he's meeting with his board, which includes like a kid, I think like (laughs) it's, there's like a Wes Anderson-esque touch to who isn't on the, at the board of this, of this corporation. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt is sitting in the middle of the table, kind of barking out the lyrics to I've got the power on her Walkman. We never actually hear the song, but she's just kind of saying it out loud. And also her dog, uh, Bunny, mm-hmm. is there, mm-hmm. right, who is mm-hmm. a little dog who's always chasing after his ball ball, uh, which in a hilarious mix-up, uh, he gets, what, lodged under Bruce Willis' testicles while he's hide- handcuffed to a chair mm-hmm. or something, and he's just—the the dog is just sniffing around in his crotch. It's a real uh, Benini-style humor yeah, moment the, moment. And the,
2: the joke is that uh, Bruce Willis, instead of being concerned, actually is in, enjoying it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what it is? It's the trail—so, before I had ever seen any Sasha Baron Cohen stuff, I was visiting my college girlfriend who was studying in England and we went to see a movie and they showed the trailer for a D'Olly G movie mm-hmm. beforehand and I was not aware of this character. I'd seen the bus ads all over London. Every bus had an ad where he was just pointing guns at the at the person looking. I had no idea who this character was, didn't know, and the entirety of the trailer was him th- waking up thinking a woman was fellating him but it was actually his dog and then realizing he was enjoying it and going back to sleep and I was like, don't care for it. Not my kind of material, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so this is what that was and like
2: down the newspaper he's reading <laughs> shakes his head
1: uh, and then uh, uh, Bruce Willis uh, then has one of my favorite lines in the movie he goes I guess I, I guess we see who wears the penis in the family which is such a dumb quip that I was like alright I'll give you points for it that's a dumb quip
0: uh, also uh, there's there w- I read uh, I think it was a New York magazine article about the making of this movie and apparently um, Bruce Willis wanted to say something more along the lines of like I guess who has the dick, we know who has the dick or something like that. And he kept doing it, and they're like, "Uh, okay, um, could we try one where you say? I guess we see who wears the penis in the family because, like, at least that's not a good joke, but it's a play on a phrase rather than like mm-hmm. what the other thing would be." <laughs> and he did it literally one time after they did like twelve takes, and they like used the one where he actually said the line because mm-hmm,
1: that's what's Bruce Willis. So that's Bruce Willis for you. That's what's called a oneer, which is the, yeah. the single perfect take. Uh, that comes after 12 bad takes. Uh, Roman, I want you to, to know, we usually don't do this much research before episodes, and I think we were intimidated that you were coming on. <laughs> and so, we actually wanted to know something about this movie. Uh, the Mayflowers, oh yeah, you, we put real work into this, which you wouldn't know from the when you first joined us on the Skype Mm-mm. call and we had no idea what we were doing and we're making it up as we went <laughs> along. Uh, So the Mayflowers want world domination. Uh, They threaten him. But they're like, world domination
2: is based (laughs) on like chaos, right? They want to throw the world into chaos because they've already made so much money. There's no challenge in that anymore. And I feel like in 1991, no villain is scarier than one that wants to upset the capitalist order.
1: Oh, yeah, well, because that was at a time when it was—it was still a time when every kid's movie was about the loss of control of a corporation or whether a businessman was going to be able to find his soul. (laughs) So people just took it for granted back then that capitalism rocked uh, and, you know, that uh, capitalism rules and human empathy Mm rules. That's just the way they felt back then. So they're like, if you don't go and steal this Da Vinci Codex from the Vatican, we're going to throw your friend Tommy, Danny Aiello— In jail, And he's like, Danny, he would never be able to survive it. He's too old now. So Eddie goes to the Vatican. He cases the joint. Uh, He uses a a, a bratty kid's stuffed animal. She's literally just slamming a stuffed animal into a banister. And you'd think the Swiss guard would take her down almost instantly. Like the Vatican seems like a pretty heavily guarded place in real life. But instead, there's just three goofy guards just like the auction house in America. (laughs) And yes, are they eating spaghetti while they're watching the cameras? Yes, of course they're they're eating spaghetti because it's Rome. Uh, and he's, Can I
0: ask you something, you guys? Yeah. Uh, about this uh, young girl with the um, stuffed elephant, the, the, th- the stuffed animal. Yeah. Um, she, I looked that actress up. She was twelve um, when she made this, but to me, she looked about thirty. Did you guys have this <laughs> uh, issue at
1: all? I didn't, but you know what? People back then dressed older. People, like, if you watch Seinfeld now, the characters are supposed to be younger than me, but they dress like my grandparents. And I think people back people now dress young, like uh, you can go to work as a middle-aged man like me, let's say, wearing a t-shirt and jeans. But back then, like, people dressed older than they were. Not as much as in the 50s when teenagers wore suits, but, you know, slightly older. Speaking
3: of dressing
0: older. Stu was covering. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I was just saying Stu was covering his face in his hands, and I'm not quite sure why he was so dismayed by my <laughs> my question. But it was just it, it was weird to me because I was like, why is that old person Pretending to be a child, like well, I, why did I they think... cast that old person? Like, is this the producer of the movie who yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. wanted a weird cameo? Like, I, what's uh-huh. going on? I think
1: Stuart no, Stewart did some more research and knows that that girl actually had Jack's disease. Oh no! And you know, oh, <laughs> even okay. though she was twelve, <laughs> she was physically forty-eight. Like, Jeez. like, yeah, like yeah, I'm worried, I'm worried, I didn't want to you guys. Robin Williams in the okay. hit okay. film Jack. Well, I apologize. Uh, but but, but so, speaking of dressing, dressing older, older,
3: I mean, this is where you really start to notice Bruce Willis's penchant for high-waisted pants in this scene. Like, he has he has a blue t-shirt tucked into he he looks like he he's dressed like a six-year-old mafia boss in this scene <laughs> and you realize oh yeah he always wore high-waisted pants it's just because he had a black t-shirt on he didn't quite notice it as much
1: oh. and, it's, and it's
3: the the wardrobe is just fantastic in this movie in fact so much so that it gets its own credit before oh yeah the before the cast and crew are you know announced at the end of the movie it is really glorious
2: it's, it's that's that's it's, one of It's funny that you bring up the high waisted pants because I feel like that's another connection. We mentioned Birds of Prey earlier, and I was kind of thinking about Birds of Prey when I was watching this movie because Birds of Prey feels like it has a connection to that like '90s like glitter bomb action comedy thing, and yet that movie also features Chris Messina wearing high waisted pants as Zaz, and uh, I remember watching them, that movie and being like. Could I pull those off? The answer is no. <laughs> but I thought about no. it.
1: And also, a hawk is a bird of prey. Stuart put it all up on your connections uh, board. Yeah. Hudson okay. Hawk, Pokemon, birds of prey—they're all related. Okay, I'm going I'm you uh, to work on that. you guys to
3: again? I mean, have you checked wait, <laughs> have the we presence to... <laughs> of rain, reindeer goat cheese inside birds of prey? I have not seen it, but if you do, then that's it seals it. It's all oh, connected. Oh yeah, same.
1: All part of the reindeer go cheese.
3: Have we universe.
0: talked about the fact that, along with the, uh, this being written or co- co-written by uh, the person who wrote Heather's, the director?
1: No, we have not talked Heathers, about it. It's also the one of my f-
0: my favorite movies. But he also directed Stewart's least favorite movie, 40 Days and Forty oh. Nights." Now, since uh, <laughs> Hudson Hawk is clearly one of your favorite movies, Stewart, where does Michael Lehman <laughs> now rank in your <laughs> estimation?
2: oh well i mean that's a huge hit uh i don't know <laughs> i mean i mean that's i mean Stuart, remember
1: remember my favorite movie the taken pelham on three was directed by joseph Sargent, who also directed jaws for the revenge hmm. so it's okay to like a movie by it's, someone who made a bad it's film.
3: 40 days and 40 nights does that that's the josh hartnett one and the, yeah yeah, we, yeah. It, and yes. i've heard you talk about it but that is that does that place take place in san francisco
2: I think it I mean it takes place At like a tech company So I can only assume
3: Because I was living in Petro Hill In San Francisco And uh-huh. I think that was The movie that they Shut down My street To film Oh um, and man And even Maybe even paid it. I could have put a Stomp to that movie For you Stuart uh- I'm so sorry
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm radicalizing Roman against That movie as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> That reminds me Of the day I couldn't walk Down a street In New York Because they were Shooting Little Nicky Starring Adam Sandler as luckily the 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 final
2: product made it all worth it right (laughs) luckily when i finally saw the
1: movie i was like that was worth inconveniencing me a little bit uh okay so andy mcdowell is also there she's leading a tour of the vatican which at this point is we got to be like what is her job she is like an art authenticator and she leads towards the vatican eddie uses that stuffed animal from that middle-aged little girl and (laughs) sets off the security things which involves like these like uh, telescoping gates that close around this codex uh and and in which the don't and look some gaskets particularly gas gets
2: sprayed scary. Out. like they move look very shaky, slowly, right?
1: Yes, and also they look like you could just kind of snap them off. Yeah. Uh
0: Yeah, they kind of look like uh the crystals in uh, the Fortress of Solitude almost.
1: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very snappable, Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. Andy McDowell takes Eddie into the Vatican's secret postal subway tunnels, which could be a real thing. I don't know. It's not that out of the question, you know.
3: They they do have a subway in Vatican City, but the one that they uh, the one that they show is the mail rail in London. Actually.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they didn't get permission from the Vatican. To shoot. Well, in, I, but in, I think the one there. in the Vatican
3: is actually like a normal, <laughs> like it's a, it's a it's it's actually the world's shortest subway. Apparently, it's like less. Oh, than it's a real it's like less than a mile. Subway. But but that's not what they're showing. There, that's actually a passenger railway. Like the the mm-hmm. the smaller gauge mail mm-hmm. railway is a thing from London, and I think that's what they're I showing see. in that scene.
1: Uh, they agree to have dinner that night. Uh, Andy McDowell seems to find Bruce Willis irresistible, even though he is smug and gross and she just saw him try to rob something uh they're gonna have dinner that night and that's when we learn she's a secret agent for the vatican i mean eddie doesn't know that yet but we know and a, a, she's a secret agent she reports that he's planning to rob the place to hear her boss who is a cardinal this is again one of those moments where when i found out it was supposed to be isabella Rosalina. i was like uh yeah. this again makes so yeah. much oh, more be sense so much better with her yeah i, I mean, totally it, see her as a secret agent totally now.
3: but it totally would it would it would have made much more sense that way.
1: I mean, I'm going to I'm going to be honest, Annie McDowell I think is my third favorite performer in the movie because yeah. she really sells it, especially at the end when she is faking being a uh, being out of her mind. Yeah. Her, I think her
3: she really Cap, that's a lot what of work I was going to her madcap energy, like her sort of sitcom madcap energy and everything like that is totally solid. Like there's nothing wrong with it. It just would have made the tone of it would have made more sense with an absurdist Isabella Rossellini performance, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, other than sex lies and videotape, I I'm not like a big fan of early Andy McDowell. Like I think she's become a very good uh sort of character actor lately. I liked her in uh Ready or Not recently. <laughs> but um but like, you know, I mean I think she in Groundhog Day for me, the best you can say about the movie is like she does not make it bad and I didn't like her in Four Weddings and a Funeral that much. But here, like, yeah, the I thought she was very
1: funny in a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh She's good in a movie called Shadrach that came out years ago. But uh, the – see, right after I watched this, I actually ended up watching Ready or Not. And it was like Andy McDowell then and now. I I like it. When I get to -hmm. to see an actor at different points in their career, one after another. That's the power of movies. But now I've got to wait like another 20 years until I can have that effect again when I watch Ready or Not. And then – I don't like the remake of Cocoon yeah. that she's in. You know, <laughs> in, in the ready future. or
0: not, the next generation. <laughs> yeah, when they still bring her ready. back as a
1: cameo. Yeah, still <laughs> yep. ready, and she comes back. I, I guess it's like a ghost. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Eddie tries to call Danny Aiello, but he can't get him on the phone. Why is that? Because, as we see in the background behind Eddie is in Rome already, uh, just getting into a fancy car. And the CIA is like, Eddie, you got to rob the Vatican tonight. you got to do it. Uh, there's a little bit of comedic violence. And anyway, let's get to the robbery, shall we? Eddie mails himself to the Vatican using his cat burglar tricks, which essentially is putting himself in a box and mailing it to the Vatican and getting on that train <laughs> and then just popping his hat out of the crate while he's on that train. It's a shot that I actually really love, where he's he's got this wild-eyed look on his face while he's, he's on this train. Uh, the Italian guards, again, just as bad as the American guards. Eddie steals the codex with a fishing hook, as we mentioned, that would almost certainly destroy this 500-year-old manuscript to be flung through the air on a fishing hook, but maybe they had it rebound recently, or maybe, I don't know. It's I mean, old yeah. paper is stronger than new paper. It. Yeah, they laminated the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on real lambskin. It's not on that newsprint that they use for <laughs> for uh, for books now. Uh, he narrowly escapes getting caught, jumps off a, what like a double-decker bus or something, and lands in the chair at the table where Andy McDowell is sitting. And that was the moment in the movie where I was like, that worked for me. Like to have him Mm -hmm. go on this madcap chase and end up exactly where he was supposed (laughs) to be. I'm like, all right, movie. Now I get what you're doing and I'm going to force myself to be on board. (laughs) Uh, The CIA agents are at another table, which bothered me. Uh, Bruce Willis asked for pasta in impeccable Italian then asked for ketchup too. I don't know. It it doesn't, I think just to piss off the waiter. It doesn't track at
3: all. I don't know why. yeah,
1: and there's no payoff. Like yeah. I was expecting him to use the pot, the ketchup totally. or something. It it, it yeah. seemed
3: like a thing that was going to have a payoff, and like they were going to use the bottle to do something, like thwart the CIA agents in the next table. But
1: I mean, I no. wonder if there's a scene where they do that,
3: where but it, and they it, cut it. Feels it, like right? something that it feels like half of a joke. Like legitimately, yeah. yeah.
1: There's a number of things in the movie that do feel like half a joke. Uh,
2: where it's does like, does he save that ketchup and then use it as fake blood when uh, they fake him <laughs> killing Danny Aiello later?
1: Don't spoiler alert Sue We're not up to it But yes probably <laughs> They do yes, use it I But think it, that's that exactly.
3: isn't, it's a, such a tenuous connection That you can never sort of connect it Between that yeah. moment and the is, next Is moment.
1: that actually what happens?
3: They do say it He says ketchup Like Danny Aiello says something about The See? ketchup I mean, on his chest But it's You're still you right like, And there's nowhere else the They could have gotten there ketchup there, in between
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, Not only is there nowhere yeah. else He could have gotten ketchup But he doesn't know at that moment That Danny Aiello is <laughs> in the city So the <laughs> idea that he's <laughs> planning to fake Someone's death at some point <laughs> it's like what happens in a in a when when Christopher Priest was writing the Black Panther comic book and Black Panther always had these he, amazing schemes that he would outscheme other people and it got to the point where it was like okay so do you just know everything that everyone's going to do 15 moves ahead cuz there's no way you could have planned for that or in a, in uh what's the which is the Bond movie with Javier Bardem is it Quantum of Solace or is it uh, Skyfall. Uh, no, Skyfall. It's, yeah. In, in yeah. The moment in Skyfall when they're in the sewers and that subway train comes through and blocks James Bond. And it's like, so did you <laughs> plan everything around the subway schedule? Because mm-hmm. you're acting yeah. like that was not a lucky break. Like you're acting like that was part of the plan. But mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. Oh. Oh, 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 unbelievable. Uh, Jordan, just put in that sound hit, please, from uh, EMF's Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, we wanted to pay EMF some licensing, right? That's yeah, yeah, it. exactly. So
1: let's... let's, let's I mean, you, just the other day, Dan, you were like, what can we do for EMF in this hard time? I know, I know they're, they're probably down. hurting. I mean, things are so unbelievable right now that nobody is listening to that yeah, song. Yeah. And Yeah, well... I-
0: they can't tour. I mean, no one can tour right because now because they only Artists have the one struggling. song. What
1: are they going to perform it once and then get off the stage, come back to <laughs> exactly. the same song as an encore, and then leave? I, no one's paying Ticketmaster or or uh, or uh, Live Nation subcharges for that. You know, it's impossible. So I guess what I'm saying is, this Max Fun Drive. Please reach out to EMF. See what you can do for them. <laughs> uh, so Annie McDowell is giving uh, Eddie a massage at her apartment. Learns that he was in prison. Explains uh, his he explains his nickname which is that the wind that comes off the Hudson is called the Hawk because it's so cold, I guess. And yeah. so he was given the name Hudson Hawk because he's a cool customer. It's not super clear.
3: Yeah, that's also a Chicago story. That's not... The Hudson isn't n- notorious for its coldness. <laughs> but well, Lake I Michigan will say is. that
1: The winds coming off the Hudson can be can be cold sometimes, but you're right; it's not as cold as Chicago winds. Uh, But that's what they call New York: the Windy City. So uh, she's like, "Oh, I like it that you were in jail." Uh, She takes uh, she goes back to oh, so this is before they go back to place. They go back to her place. She's giving a massage. uh, They start making out when she gets a signal from her boss through the form of a crucifix on her wall that lights up and then just has voices coming Mm -hmm. out of it, which is a hilariously uh, not subtle way for a secret agent to get a message maybe while they're entertaining someone in their apartment who doesn't know that they're a secret agent it seems like there's no way to like turn it off or anything uh, and she sees the codex in his bag and she's like wait you did rob the Vatican tonight don't know why she's surprised uh, meanwhile this is the, the weirdest joke in the movie and I could not understand it the CIA agents are outside on a stakeout watching and one goes hey what's happening up there and Butterfinger the big dumb one goes want me to rape them and I was like what? Did I hear that yeah, right? I, like but the subtitle yeah. said it too and it was one of the it was just like another 1991 joke where I'm like this is not a joke that would fly at any other point in history maybe except at a time when like it was I don't know it was okay to be a douche like I don't understand. Dan explain it. You love <laughs> you love jokes about sensitive subjects. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was busy looking up e- I was I was busy looking up EMF on Wikipedia
0: just uh-huh. to make sure that like <laughs> there were a thing we could like uh, a cause we could support and that there was no uh, big in- tragedy yeah. being insensitive yeah. to. Okay, oh, fair cool. play. Uh, one point. one of their bases did pass away from uh, drug uh, overdose. But when was that? But uh, let's see here. It's uh, it was during the third or the second reunion. Uh, I mean, it, wait! It boggles my mind. That there's a reason they, they've broken up and reunited yeah. three times, yeah. apparently. But this isn't something that happened
1: it, like a couple months ago.
0: No, 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 no. Also, they um, did a lot of uh, relief work for AIDS, so I think it's I think it's good for us to support EMF. That's yeah. all cool. Yeah. Thank I, EMF. I
1: mean, Dan, you know, I wasn't really suggesting that people like send EMF money. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, was, I hate to. I, I appreciate that you did our due diligence on this one, but yeah. But I'm, I'm glad right, you, well, you realized. You, I'm glad you ascertained that EMF falls in that meaty middle of things that are neither too good nor too bad for us to make fun I mean, of. So, but <laughs> Thank you. the
2: the joke that you just mentioned. There's a couple other jokes earlier in the movie uh, that are, I think, it, and l- later in the movie that are kind of insensitive. And I think it just it speaks to a time where the entire like editorial board was just a bunch of white guys being like, "Doesn't offend me. That's fine." Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's uh there's a moment early in the film where it's like uh one of the guards is is making a joke at the expense of a chinese person's Oh, I name. forgot
1: about that. Yeah, right. that's bad. And it's
0: like it's like you're like, "Oh, this is bad." And then they do oh, one of those Asian sting. music.
1: Yeah, stings. that was bad. I'm oh. like,
0: "Okay, come on, movie."
1: I should have made a note <laughs> about that. That was that was bad. That's <laughs> the uh the, I, it's like I was explaining Gremlins Two to Sammy the other day, and I got to the part about the the Asian tourist with the camera, and I was like, uh, Can I remove that from the movie?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there was a time in history when it was hilarious that
1: it, well, it's one of those they liked cameras. It's one of those stereotypes <laughs> I've never really understood. I guess because I was a yeah. kid at the time, but I'm like, what, 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 like, what kind of stereotype is? Well, you know, those types of people they love visiting other places and bringing home memories with them. <laughs> well, Let's make fun of that. I, they love they I, love to expand their horizons by travel. And and they love to remember the moment in a photo. Well, That's hilarious. I think
0: I think it was exactly that, Elliot. That like that was the first time, kind of in uh, history, that there was an influx of more Asian tourists to America, and just the simple fact that they took cameras around, which any human would do on their vacation, mm-hmm. then became a stereotype.
1: It's very. It's a str- It's sometimes there are stereotypes that I just. I just. They're. I guess they're rooted yeah. in that. In that one moment of history. Anyway, so I guess what I'm saying is, guys. I can no longer wholeheartedly endorse Gremlins 2. I can only endorse every other thing about that movie, except for that one (laughs) character. Uh, So, uh, anyway... Uh, she, McDow- Annie McDowell, drugs Eddie. Tells the CIA that she wants to see Kaplan because everybody's working together and knows. I don't know why she act, she like acts surprised that he committed the robbery, even though everyone in Rome seems to be working together and knows that Eddie is committing this robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go, "Oh no, it's a." He, and uh, James Coburn's like, "It's a sting operation. We're gonna catch the the Mayflowers." And then, and for some reason, and he goes, "Okay, now we've got to get you back to Rome, but don't worry, we have a body double. And David Crusoe is wearing the same dress as Annie McDowell and a wig for no reason. Again, this is like the first half." Half of a joke, and it's never paid off. There's no like, there's, we're, like there's no reason she needs a body double. No, we're never seeing a situation where like he could, he can uh, convinces someone he's her. It doesn't make sense. Amy McDowell talks to her boss in confessional, uh, and we find out she's not just a secret agent. She's a nun. That's right. She's a battle nun or a warrior nun. Whatever that independent comic from years ago was. It's now a uh, Netflix and,
2: TV show. Really, it is. Yeah, yeah. It just it just launched like a week or two ago. It's crazy.
1: Oh, I didn't know about that. That was one of those things I would see in the back of the previews catalog. And I'd be like, I don't know that I'll ever find out what this really is. Uh, <laughs> the Vatican wants to keep the gold machine from wrecking the world economy because, I mean, it makes sense. The Vatican owns a lot of gold. Uh, but if there's anything that uh, the teachings of Jesus tell us, it is that it's very important to have a functioning global economy based on precious metals. <laughs> and that, <laughs> th- that he's, I remember he says, I think at one point, Uh, To Peter, he said, you will be the rock on which my church is built and through which we will regulate capitalism to ensure that people can still make loads of money Mm -hmm. through the accumulation of commodities. And Peter was like, let me get all this down. This is a big job. Hold on a second. Uh, So the Mayflowers, they're mad at Hudson Hawk. Uh, I don't remember why. (laughs) They get the last gold machine bits uh, from the codex, right? It's like every Da Vinci thing he steals, they have to break to get the machine parts that are inside of it. Uh, And Minerva kills her henchmen, uh, kind of as a joke. Uh, Hudson Hawk steals something uh, that... I don't remember seeing it later on. We find out what it is, I guess. And the next couple of minutes are just everyone taking turns overacting hysterically, largely <laughs> where like Hudson Hawk gets out of his handcuffs and starts dancing with Minerva and just shouting at them while they stand there watching him. And then he stops and watches as Richard E. Grant overacts and just flops around for a while. It's the scene makes no sense. It's like the worst improv exercise I've ever seen. And they were just like, keep it in the movie, whatever. Okay. <laughs> uh, the uh, and so the Mayflowers, as I say in my notes, they explain their plan to make gold and undermine the world so they can dot 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 question mark. Uh, <laughs> it, it's never really clear what the end game is. Uh, and now he's got to go rob the Louvre to get a model of Da Vinci's helicopter flying machine. And he's like, "How much globetrotting robbery am I gonna have to do?" That's when mm-hmm. he he's like, "I don't want to do this anymore." And they say, "Take it up with our partner." It's Danny Aiello. That's right. He set Hawk up somehow not sure how he did it not (laughs) sure what they needed him for it's not clear he's played no except i guess in doing the first robbery with him it's unclear what he has to do with any of it they fight he seems to get shot during the fight and they're both taken away in an ambulance hey guess what guys as stewart said it was a fake fight the oldest gag in the books Uh the old pretend to fight with your partner so that you can knock over the guy holding a gun on you uh and eddie is like look at this i stole part of the gold machine and they're like you did it we saved the day
0: well, but also I, here's what I don't understand because like it was a genuine uh, betrayal. Eddie just forgives him for it because uh, Danny Aiello is like, no, 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 this is wrong. I shouldn't have done yeah. this. Like, like he like here's my guess. changes at the and so he's also played camera.
2: by Danny it's... Aiello, who's a super charming guy, and I miss him every day. Here's my guess, Dan. i
1: was
0: Off- baffled by when they set up this fake uh, <laughs> death scheme. Here's like what they did. gets arranged.
2: They were
1: fighting, and Bruce Willis was mad. Danny Aiello started singing, like, I only have eyes for you or something, and Bruce mm-hmm. Willis sang along with him. Or, like, uh, Fly Me to the Moon. That's what it would have been, saying Fly Me to the Moon. And they joined us okay. a duet, and then, and then Bruce goes, hey, plan 49B. And all goes, yeah, 49B. And that's all they know, because <laughs> okay. they got their crook okay. shorthand, and they that they know that's the fake of fight so that I can pretend to be shot so that the Vatican ambulance can take me away plan, because that's just how good they are, Dan. That's just okay.
0: how good. Okay, I mean,
3: I guess I'm the idiot. <laughs> but
1: no, I mean, I wouldn't say idiot. I would say moron, but, you know, that's fair. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we like to keep it um, to medical terms here. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank yeah.
1: you. Uh, they're celebrating at Andy McDowell's apartment. Eddie tries to get... Andy McDowell to sleep with him even though her bed is just behind like a thin see-through scrim so I guess like Danny Aiello would just watch the whole time or just like stay really focused (laughs) on the TV and pretend his friend was not having sex feet away from him or maybe they're just the kinds of friends like in Wolf of Wall Street who have sex in front of each other I don't know that never gets answered because Andy McDowell makes them sleep on the couch Uh, the next morning the CIA shows up wakes them up injects them with a poison that paralyzes them from the necks down uh, so that Mm -hmm. they can you would Maybe think CIA you can... would think
2: that this scene would hamper their ability to overact but no 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 <laughs> <laughs> they Do the most neck yeah. and face acting you can imagine
0: yeah <laughs> all of the energies all the chi from the rest of their body is channeled up into their mm-hmm. face yeah not since that uh, not
1: since the head shaking demons from jacob's ladder <laughs> has there been such head and neck over overacting motion in a, in yeah. a movie uh uh James Coburn is there and he's like hey you don't have to rob the Louvre I did it, I did it instead of you we killed a bunch of guards here's the helicopter model breaks it open here's the gold machine piece and it's like hey why did they come here to tell them this it seems unnecessary <laughs> it seems like it can only hurt their plan to get <laughs> Hudson Hawk and Tommy who are about to go home to get them back mixed up in the plot <laughs> why would you do it just, i don't know they,
0: they just dropped by to explain to the audience no there won't be a third heist to this movie.
1: <laughs> Don't worry. We got bored of the heist. We're not gonna make you do that movie. So uh, is this the scene
2: at- where they introduce they introduce a weapon that's like a bazooka that fires these rockets that stick to things and have a timer on them. And I do yes. love that yeah. they introduce this uh this bullshit weapon and then it shows up multiple times for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. very like Wolfenstein or Doom or whatever with with
3: (laughs) the ammo. I mean, just unlimited. Well, that
1: that was my question is, where do they get, even if they held onto it, where do they get the probably very unique ammo? (laughs) These (laughs) suction cup time bomb missiles. But also, the timer doesn't seem to matter that much because they shoot one onto the wall and it has a two-minute timer then they, another one accidentally gets shot to a CIA agent's forehead and has a two minute timer. The forehead one goes off first yeah. and then the heroes run away and then the other one I guess goes off. Like it's,
0: well, yeah, no, it goes down to, yeah, the timer is at zero and then they're like, hey, maybe
2: we should jump out the window. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, all bomb timers give you a little bit of leeway once it hits zero. <laughs> oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, they, that's the, they call that the margin of error yeah. in any explosive. Mm. Uh, the Mayflowers, they kidnap uh, Andy McDowell. They want her to decipher Da Vinci's plans so they can build the gold machine. That never really matters because they've already built the gold machine uh, and but she pretends that she is still uh, babbling gibberish from the drug they injected her with this is I think was a pretty funny bit for me and that she thinks she's a yeah. dolphin and has to talk to other dolphins and Annie McDowell really gives it her all Eddie and Tony they use that uh, that bazooka that shoots suction cup time bombs to storm castle da Vinci where they are now. I don't believe castle da Vinci was ever a real place. I don't, my, my understanding was Leonardo da Vinci was always in the employ of different kind of feudal Lords and barons because he needed money. Cause he was not part of the landed gentry guys prove me wrong. Dan, I know you're a da Vinci scholar. Tell me what I'm wrong about that.
0: Uh, No, I don't, I don't know that, but um, there was a question that came up uh, toward when we were watching the movie, uh in shays mccoy uh here and um it was was there a war going on at the time and i was like Elliot would know this because they're like when they're saying we need bronze for the war
1: i mean uh, i mean da vinci was constantly building or designing military weapons i guess and like there was warfare going on but it wasn't like it wasn't like a you know there was skirmishes between different kind of like warring uh, like either city-states or or feudal vassals mm-hmm. and things like that. It wasn't like Italy is at war with Germany because Italy as a nation did not exist at the time. Not until like, no, no, the, like the late the 18th, late 19th century basically. Oh, yeah. I mean it's yeah. possible. I mean it's also – I okay. mean they did. it's true that they did not build that horse. I don't know if that's the reason why. I don't remember. But that – the Las Le- yeah. Sforza or whatever it's called, that horse he designed, which was supposed to be the largest equine statue in the world – It was not built until modern times. So like that part of it is released in real life. The model for the horse was destroyed. They still had his blueprints, but they, but the model is not real. So it was destroyed because
2: there was part of his gold making machine in it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly okay. yeah. yes that's cool. that's the truth of
2: that um, well I, I wanted to yeah i wanted
0: to get to the bottom of the most important thing about this movie hudson hawk's accuracy yeah. to uh, renaissance well, history as
1: people will know when we finally release that battle angel episode you love to know backstory about uh-huh. wars. <laughs> I, <laughs> mm, uh,
2: yeah. tell me more please what i what i love about this movie is that the big conclusion takes place at a fucking castle you know as soon as that happens i'm like i'm in baby <laughs>
1: If look, You're like, what did Charlie Bands produce yeah, this? Come on. Is, uh,
2: yeah, it's, like, it's just like If Looks Could Kill or, I don't know, uh, other movies that I have castles that I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, romancing
1: know, that's the stone. It, that's, that's the two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they storm the castle while singing side by side. Cause they, but again, the song, the timing doesn't matter. It's not like that. They have an intricate plan for this other than split up and blow things up as you walk along. <laughs> um, yeah. but they're, they're having a ball. Uh, the Mayflower's, Kill they, they, so Kit Kat, the David Crusoe character, I guess the joke was supposed to be that he's like a master of disguise because mm-hmm. he's painted to look like a Roman statue with a spear for no reason. <laughs> like, I don't know who he's fooling because everyone knows he's there. And they say, guard the, guard the, 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 the nun spy. And he ho- puts a spear up to her and they're like, actually, and they kill him. And I was like, what was, the, what was the point of that whole ruse? Like, why even bother that, that first step? Just go ahead because the Mayflowers are just killing the CIA agents. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, they're the good guys are throwing bombs everywhere, uh, <laughs> and Eddie. So this is when Eddie ends up in a fight with James Coburn, who it turns out he still knows kung fu from his days as like an Our man Flint in like Flint, uh, secret agent. And you have this is yeah, Stuart. Describe what happens here. This is the I think the cartooniest part of the movie. Yeah, so
2: they're they're doing a fight on the top of the on the roof of the castle, uh, and. James Coburn uh, is doing a pretty complicated combo with, very, uh, you know, he's got his uh, he's got his combo links down. He understands the frame data. And he manages to lock <laughs> Hudson Hawk in this stun lock animation up against the wall, basically, where he just keeps bending backwards and bending forwards over and over. So that even after he stops his combo, he drops his combo. You're like, what What a loser. Why'd he drop his combo? Why doesn't he practice those B&Bs? But uh, he's, he's still locked in that animation, of course. Doing that makes him bend over to pick up his hat, which has fallen on the ground. And at this point, we know Hudson Hawk loves his fucking cool hat. So he bends over to grab Mm -hmm. that hat. James Coburn goes for a jump. And you're like, you're going to do a jump kick right now in this (laughs) point of the match? You're just leaving yourself open to a counterattack. Like, what if he sure you can see or does one of those uh, those, uh, guile kicks? So he jumps off the, over, <laughs> what, over the barbican? Like, what's the, uh, what's that thing called? He jumps off. Well, the ramparts? Yeah, he jumps over the ramparts with his, uh, with his kick. And then, of course, lands on a car. But he's fine, he's fine.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I, I thank you, sir, for putting that into layman's terms that we could all understand. Yeah. That was incredibly helpful. <laughs> uh, there is one funny moment where James Kurt Coburn's doing all these spinning high kicks and then gets dizzy. And I was like, that's kind of a funny yeah. joke. He would get dizzy mm-hmm. doing that. Um he lands on top of a car where Daniello is fighting Richard E. Grant. The car is being driven by the butler. Uh, and they—I don't remember why. For some reason, the runaway limo explodes. Uh, <laughs> they, so, and, and 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 anyway, you're it, like, it, it, okay, like they, the movie is yeah, over, right? Good. The yeah. movie is over. They defeated the bad guys. Uh, au contraire, my friend. That was the end of Act 2. <laughs> 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 because the Mayflowers, they capture Eddie and Anna— I I don't know how they survived. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Eddie assembles the gold machine crystals for them. Don't know how he knows how to do that. It's something that, I guess, you were supposed to have to read a Da Vinci Codex to know how to do that. But Eddie is just a master thief who knows the lengths of all the songs. So, of course, he can reconstruct the work of a Renaissance master. Um, The bad guys gloat. Sandra Bernhardt, they both get great speeches, great little mini speeches here that I love. Where Richard E. Grant is like, civilization. Art, human achievement—those are trophies on my desk. And uh, and Richard Sandberg was like, everyone thinks they're the center of the world. There's a, tra- a traffic problem, and you're like, why does this happen to me? It- but for us, that's not a fantasy. For us, it is our reality. <laughs> and it's just like, I love that they are just like Marvel villains, just stating their philosophies <laughs> yeah. outright yeah, in the great. middle of the scene. Uh, but it turns out, uh-oh, Roman, was Eddie playing fair when he gave them the pieces of the gold machine?
3: Absolutely not, because even though we have no idea how he can put this crystal together, he even knows how to put the crystal together wrong and have it stay <laughs> together and be given to them to blow up the machine.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's more likely that he just did it wrong, I guess. But the, the movie makes it seem like he did it on purpose. But I wonder if he, if he was like, they are like, hey— you messed up the machine on purpose. And he's like, yeah, that's me, <laughs> old uh, Eddie Hawkins, you know. Uh, the machine explodes. Uh, Mayflower and Minerva die in the chaos. Uh, Mayflower is uh, is electrocuted. Minerva, I guess she's killed when molten gold spatter, yeah. molten lead spatters all over her. It's not yeah. super clear. Uh, it's the kind of thing where in a movie like this, I could see her coming back uh-huh. just as a half-lead, yeah. half-flesh creature, but it doesn't happen. Uh, like a, a Lady Stoneheart kind sure. of person, you know. yeah uh that's Eddie exactly fights what Alfred that character's the... like
2: <laughs> yeah isn't, isn't she made out of stone that's why it's called that yeah, yeah. like
1: like so in the game of thrones books i forget which one of it is i think it might be she's been using I think her, her geomancy
2: be... too much and it turns her body into stone
1: yeah in volume mm-hmm. six a pummeling of pasta she falls into a swamp <laughs> and she's kind of half fossilized like half petrified uh-huh. and then claws her way out uh-huh. yeah yep. uh
0: <laughs> I, I I would I would describe uh, Stewart's grin as tight when uh, <laughs> Elliot makes fun of <laughs> Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, sorry about that... fire.
2: You mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no. The Game of Thrones is the first one. He goes Game of Thrones. Uh huh. Uh, a chat with Checkers. Oh sure, uh, that's yeah. when they talk to a cat named Checkers. <laughs> mm. uh, a dance with dogs. Uh-huh. Uh, kick with a kangaroo, and then uh, there's uh, uh, Llama Llama Nighty Night. And uh, I think um, what other what other unfortunate events happen in the series, Stuart?
2: Like a, a, a classy conundrum. <laughs> so oh, he's uh, anger laughing now.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've never seen and then, that before. And then at
1: some point, at some point, a pigeon wants to drive a bus. Anyway, that's the <laughs> series. So uh, they, Anna tries to shoot. She's firing guns to try to save Eddie from the butler, but she just manages to shoot Eddie in the arm and also shoot his belt buckle, which of course saves his life as mentioned earlier. Eddie somehow uses the blades coming out of Alfred's wrists to chop off Alfred's own head uh-huh. in a very story of Ricky type of uh, moment.
2: And the quip, he won't be going to the uh- hat convention in oh. July. <laughs>
1: And now I love that joke I love and here's that. why one it's based on nothing
2: <laughs> <laughs> the
1: character I think wears a hat once and, I think, it, I think and, and the specificity H- Hudson Hawk loves sp-
2: hats Elliot. well this thing the
1: specificity of July makes me think that yeah. this is a real event Hudson Hawk is going to and thinks everybody else knows about and so they'd be like haha yeah we get at the hat convention but I wish there was a beat of Andy Vidal being like is there a hat convention like I understand <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's such a it's such a weird a weirdly specific (laughs) off base quip yeah Uh, 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 anyway there's only one way oh they also kill Minerva's dog for no reason Uh, with what like a crossbow bolt or something I don't remember it's a ball yeah it fires a ball and knocks him out the window oh right that's right. He he shoots him with a with a tennis ball cannon yeah, right. uh, out of window. And you and you, uh, they, you
2: describe that with all the sympathy of being a noted animal lover. <laughs> I mean, I care
1: about all living things. I did say there was no reason to do it, yeah, you know. Fair. But
2: what I like uh, about this, I mean, I, I do not
0: advocate violence against any uh, form of animal or human. Uh, uh, but I, the dog was attacking them. Let's not say there was no reason. There was. A, they had a motivation. Now they should not have killed the dog. Let me be uh, clear about that. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, it's not like Hudson Hawk on the way out was like, and fuck you, dog.
1: <laughs> I mean, I might have liked it more if he said, if he did that and then just kicked the dog out the window. But okay, so yeah. there's only one way to escape this castle. Hey, guys, was there a special Da Vinci device that we saw in the opening of the movie nope. that we have not seen hmm. nor heard about since then? I think there was, uh. and what was it? What was it? Think back, Think back. Um, think back. It really glair- It was glaring in the first scene because there was no reason for it to be there.
0: it was one of those gliders, those gliders, right That's those, right uh, mm-hmm. gliders. One of those
1: gliders, one of those bat wing gliders, they managed to uh, fly it off, and it's almost okay, so in Howard the Duck, there's a very long sequence where Howard and Tim Robbins are riding around in a little what gyroplane. It takes forever. Yeah. Imagine the exact opposite of that is Andy McDowell and Bruce Willis get on this glider. There is one moment or two of them being worried, and then they're like, "We did it!" and they land. and It was like, <laughs> "Wait, was this supposed to be funny or exciting?" I don't know. It's like, it's and it's like and it looks terrible. So I imagine that in the edit they yeah. were like, "This looks awful. Like, let's just not have a lot of this." And also, the movie should have been over ten minutes ago when they killed <laughs> the bad guys the first time, but. <laughs> Anyway, they land in a picturesque Italian village and kiss. Hey, guess who happens to be there by the logic of the movie? It's Tommy. He's there and he's alive. And they joke about how ridiculous it all is. And guess what Eddie finally gets? That cappuccino oh. he's wanted. So long. And the voiceover at the beginning of the movie, which was not anywhere else in the movie, comes back and goes, and Eddie finally got his coffee. And they close the big tome <laughs> and it's the end of the movie. Like I, just, I, I do want to say...
0: Uh, I mean, you mentioned it in passing, but I really did enjoy the jokes surrounding uh, Danny Aiello's reappearance because he's like, oh, you should have exploded in that car. And he's like, airbags. And I'm like, yeah, but the fire. And he's like, there was a sprinkler in the car. <laughs> Do you believe it? And they're all just like, li- they're, they're literally all like, yeah, sure. Why not?
1: Yeah. <laughs> they are so openly not even caring about the fact that he, he was just in a car explosion. Like, Yeah.
2: Oh. <laughs> I,
3: I, I think that the rest of the movie would have done better with that tone of knowing that you're in a yeah. dumb movie it, it, yes it, it's yeah. way like it but it but there it, again it just sort of sticks out as being so odd you know like it, well, it's like <laughs>
1: the it's a movie it's kind of like a a like an ur austin powers in a way mm-hmm. where it's like we're gonna do a throwback it's gonna be really goofy the characters are gonna stretch the reality of the movie to such an extent that by the end of it nobody believes in that reality but they're still having a good time but they like couldn't They just couldn't stick the landing or the takeoff or the flight in between. (laughs) And the in-flight meal wasn't very good. And also they ran out of soda like halfway through the flight. Uh, And also when they brought you a bag of peanuts, there was a hole in the bag and a spider had crawled into the Mm -hmm. bag. And you opened it up and the guy next to you was like, "Huh, spider, I hardly know her. And you're like, that doesn't make sense as a joke. (laughs) Like that's. Uh, (laughs) I
0: think that's a perfect lead in. To final judgments about whether this was a good bad movie, a bad bad movie, or a movie you kind of like, uh, guys. Like I said, I um, tried to watch this a couple times before when I was younger, and just sort of like lost interest. Um, <clears throat> and now I don't know why, because there's constantly stuff going on. Uh, I think that there's like m- multiple uh, factors at play. Like I said, I didn't have any, I didn't bring any preconceived notions this time to it, unlike Roman. I don't find Bruce Willis's smugness more inseparable. Uh, <laughs> as I grow older, I I find that I have a ironic at, uh, appreciation for it as part of the persona of who Bruce Willis is now. Okay, you'll. Whereas you'll, when I you'll get to the Jeff, Jeff stage eventually.
1: <laughs> Guys, I'd never seen this movie like Ishtar. It just lived in my mind as a uh, as a movie with a bad reputation. And unlike Ishtar, which I do not like at all, I by the end of it I was like, you know what, Hudson Hawk movie i kind of like you're not good <laughs> but i have to admit like the things that made this totally unswallowable for the audiences of 1991 are the exact things that are refreshing to me about it now where it's like yeah whatever you can say about this movie it was not made by a studio committee trying to be as safe as possible like this is a bonkers movie and knowing that it is the close much like nothing but trouble is the clearest mirror of the warped psyche of Dan Aykroyd, knowing that this is kind of the movie that plays in Bruce Willis's head when he thinks about (laughs) making a movie, that kind of adds a little bit of extra meaning to it for me.
0: It was unfairly maligned at the time, and I feel like now there are a bunch of people who claim that it's this misunderstood masterpiece, which is just contrarian hipster nonsense. Mm -hmm. It does exist in the middle. I think that, like, uh, (laughs) people... There's a weird lack of nuance to people's opinions uh, nowadays, perhaps because of the internet, where they can't justify liking something if it's not actually awesome. Like It's like, no, 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 you're right, you're wrong, this movie is amazing. I wouldn't say this movie is amazing, but this movie is a lot more fun than I thought it would be, and I kind of liked it. Uh,
2: Yeah, I would say, I don't know, I feel like this is probably the closest... I feel like this is a a solid good-bad movie. Uh, There's (laughs) parts of it that I like. Uh, There's parts of it that are uh, not not so good. Um, You were gonna do an Italian accent there, and you didn't do it. You know, I'm trying to be better about that. You know, Uh, (laughs) it's appropriate. Yeah, it was. You know, it was a character. I'm doing a character. Um, Yeah, I I definitely have uh, I I have a lot of affection for this movie. If this movie was a person, I would hand it my Nintendo Switch and say, "Would you play Nintendo with me?"
3: Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, okay. I I think I'm right where you guys are. It's like I think 30 years ago it was a movie I kind of liked. I think now I think of it more as a good bad movie because my tolerance for Bruce Willis's smug face has dropped a lot since then. Uh-huh. But it's also like it is going for it, and you gotta admire that. It was it was during that phase of where action movie writers and directors kind of like um, last action hero and. Uh, where they were bored with action movies, but like the audience was not bored with action movies yet. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. They, so they were doing these <laughs> movie <romantic laughs> commentaries on action movies, but um, but you know, the audience was like, I, "I like action movies. I want Arnold Schwarzenegger to go back to what he was." <laughs> and They're like, "Wait, can yeah. I
1: not watch Bruce Willis just be a cat burglar? <laughs> exactly. Like, does it have to be like in a
3: crazy world?" Like, <laughs> and, and so it, it sort of has this. Interesting time time capsule in that in that sense, but yeah, I I think it's it's pretty enjoyable. I watched it twice in preparation for this, uh-huh. and that was about my <laughs> wow. Limit. Like I, I don't, I'm not going to be seeing it again for another thirty years. Yeah. but it, it is it is in that it's really right down the middle to me to a good bad movie, you know, and a movie I kind of liked. Uh,
0: okay, well. Elliot is going to talk a little bit more about the Max Fun Drive in a moment, but to give you a uh, break from his voice before he starts, I'm going to say a quick word for Squarespace, uh, which you can use to create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a site people might enjoy out there in the world, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and much more. And Squarespace does this by giving you Beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers with everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. You can use it on your phone, tablet, whatever. A new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. Free and secure hosting and much more call to action. This is it, guys. (laughs) This is the call to action. You got to go to squarespace.com slash flop. For a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Was I not supposed to read Call to Action? Maybe. <laughs> let's, let's move on. It's on the page.
1: know. Now, now, Romans, uh, Squarespace ads particularly are beautiful to behold on ninety nine percent invisible, uh, and so I just it was very it was very entertaining for me to watch. At, it was kind of like watching like a professional NFL player watching like a peewee football match, <laughs> and the kids realized suddenly that there was a peewee footballer there and just started running a little faster uh, just yeah, at the very yeah. end. Whoa.
3: I was just amazed that you actually do these Like in line, like live to tape Which is like, you, you do realize <laughs> that you can record things Like at separate times and like what? put them in Yeah <laughs> Never heard of it, never heard of it Yeah, no, we that's do things- true And we so went, for that we
0: wouldn't have, have, have to have our uh, guests Just st- sit around for them, I guess <laughs> yep, No,
3: um, we
1: do things Steve Allen style All live
3: I, I, no, I, and, I love it, it, was, it was, watching the magic unfold like that Was really something, it was really something
1: Now, Mm -hmm. normally I would then make up some kind of silly uh, website that maybe Squarespace could help me with that's based somewhat on the movie. Like, uh, for instance, ismygirlfriendanun.com, your site to find out whether your girlfriend (laughs) is secretly a nun... And also a secret agent, but you know mostly the none thing. But we don't have time for that because here's a website I'm going to tell you about. It's you do, called maximumfunorg you, do, you, do, you, do you
2: don't want to do a you don't want to do a ad for spaghetti thermoses or something? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, we never even talked about spaghetti thermoses. Yeah, the All right. Uh, Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. So here's a website called findmecoffee.com. Hey, have you ever just landed in a glider in a little Italian village and you're not sure if they serve coffee there? Just log on to findmecoffee.com it'll show you where the coffee is. Anyway, but maximumfun.org slash joins the site I want to talk about because, again, it is pledge time. We've been hearing a lot from our great listeners uh, and how much this show means for them. I've been getting a lot of tweets about it and it's been really wonderful and it's been really, um, you know, just uplifting to us to find out how people feel about the show and how much it means to them and especially economically uplifting to find out how much it means to them in monetary form. So, here's the ask. We're going to be asking of you. We're going to ask you to think about, hey, what can you afford in this time as mentioned before? And also, you didn't need the mention because you know it's a hard time. It's a hard time right now. It's not an easy time to be throwing money at guys talking about Hudson Hawk and making Dan mad on a, on a weekly now basis. But we appreciate you in, in continuing or increasing your support here's now
0: i'm imagining uh my enemies whoever they may be out in the world secretly funding this podcast uh just so i get math, really. <laughs> like eventually
1: dan will literally blow his top and then we'll have our revenge mm-hmm. um <laughs> we need your support uh, it helps helps us keep going with the podcast it's something that uh helps me. I know just being personally convinced my family to let me sit in a room uh twice a week away from them for not twice a week, once every once a week. Sit in a room away from them and take time I should spend, uh, you know, taking care of my family or uh, playing with them or whatever. Are you sure? Uh to I feel talk like nonsense. they're
2: like uh yeah, why don't you take some dad time? Why don't you take some <laughs> me time with your buddies. I mean we'll that's, fair. Okay. that's fair, that's
1: fair. But so so aside from the main reason you should become a member, which is to keep all this great Flophouse content coming to you, uh, with our mini-episodes now, we're giving you, I would say twice the content, but our regular episodes are so long that it's more like 35% more content uh, with the mini-episodes. Uh, here's the other reason you join. Because you can now get not just bonus content, which is hours and, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of shows from Maximum Fun shows that you can't listen to otherwise. Not just our show, although our show does have... Lots of bonus content, including a some would say prolonged uh, role-playing adventure starring us run by Stuart, huh. <laughs> uh, in which we travel to the outer bounds of space over 10 or so hours. I don't know, it's a long it's a long uh-huh. one, uh, but a lot of exciting stuff happens when we meet some crazy creatures. Uh, in addition to that, <laughs> you can also get <laughs> that's right. The classic, new one every year. I can't
2: believe Elliot's fucking riding me so much this episode. <laughs> I know.
1: You can also You also get if you go to the $10 a month limit, because that's the thing. You can you could be a five dollar a month donor or a contributor, let's say. You could be a ten dollar a month contributor. You can go as high as fifty or hundred dollars a month, and each one of those levels has its own gifts. That also includes the gifts from the previous levels. But at $10 a month, you get the pins. That's right. Everyone's favorite thing about the Max Fun Pledge Drive. It's the pins. Every show has its own pin. You get to choose what show you want to wear the colors of on your, you know, jean jacket or maybe on your backpack uh, so that when you go to school, everyone's like, hey, cool Flophouse pin. What is it? And you're just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's Rocket Crocodile. Amazing that you didn't recognize the character, but you knew it was a Flophouse pin, even though it doesn't say Flophouse on it. And they're like, hey, that's because we're Max Fun listeners. Kind of. Anyway, uh, so did you get the answer row number four on the algebra homework? And you're going to be like, aren't we still going to talk about the pin? And they're like, we're done talking about the pin. we got more important things to talk about. Do you think Shirley likes me? And it's like, I don't think so. You're, you're crazy, dude. So those pins are yours at the $10 a month level. Uh, every, you get to choose which one. There's a lot of great pins for a lot of great shows. Is oh, Shirley a, I mean, Jackson? Yes, there is. Yeah. Shirley Jackson came she to speak at, their, like you, at their school. And the guy is convinced she has a crush on him. Uh, and, uh, he's uh, like, Hey, I could always live in the castle. C- come yeah. to, uh, speaking, uh,
0: speaking of castles, uh, Hudson Hawk, th- we've always lived in the castle. Stuart,
1: you do the math.
0: Yeah.
2: Put it on oh, your yeah, board. Do the so math on my board, Dan. <laughs> Dan.
1: And, uh, so uh, according to this, according to this document and Dan, tell me if I'm wrong at any point, cause we're in week three, right? Uh-huh. According this will be released yeah, according to this document this week, if uh, all our ten dollar a month members have the option to purchase additional pins from the store, not just the one that you chose, and the proceeds from those additional pins go to charity, there are so many great ones. I know I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to buy a bunch of them. I want that Switchblade Sisters one, and I want uh, the iPodius one. Anyway, there's a bunch of good ones. I know I'm going to get them. I'm already a. I'm already a Fun member, but I always choose the Flophouse pin because uh, even though I think it's weird that I have to buy a pin from my own podcast, I still want to support the network. Come on. Lots of great shows. So you go to MaximumFun.org slash join. You sign up for the $10 a month level, and you can get that pin that you want and also additional pins. Hey, you don't have to do $10 a month. But if you do, that's what you get. There's lots of other levels. There's lots of other gifts. I would advise you uh- to— Yep.
0: I just want to say two things while this is going on. Um, number one, there was a point where you're talking about pens, where it sounded like when I accidentally hit two times speed on my podcast when uh, listening. Um, you just, I don't know. It was like, I don't know. Uh, you shifted into Micro Machines, guy, and I was very impressed. Oh, thanks. Uh, number two, as long as we're talking about uh, Max Fun things that happened uh, this week, I just want to quickly plug if you go to the Max Fun YouTube page. Uh, I did a uh charity dinner for Meals on Wheels with some other Max Fun podcasters that you can see. Uh it you know, it streamed live, but you can always donate to Meals on Wheels and watch the YouTube dinner party. Back to you, Elliot, thank, in the studio. Thank
1: you. Uh so <laughs> please, I would advise you to do, go to maximumfun.org slash join now while you are thinking about it. I know that it took me Weeks and weeks to remember to donate to a recent charity that I wanted to donate to. I donate to charities regularly, but this particular one I kept forgetting. Don't let that happen to you. Go to maximumfundorg slash join now. Are you in a car driving listening to this? Pull over. <laughs> pull over and get your phone out. Are you on public transportation? Wow. Even better. You don't have to pull over. Just keep going. So if you're at this a, is
0: the chill
1: Max F- <laughs> yeah. drive? truck. If you're, at, oh look, no, if you're you on a plane urgency. right now,
3: urgency. Urgency. He's doing Parachute right. out of that uh, plane. Get a signal.
1: Right. If you're at a funeral right now, I don't know why you're listening to this at a funeral, but like you're already listening to your phone. Just whip, just take it out and, and make the donation. Uh, just go. If you're at a wedding right now, same thing. Uh, you should do it now before you forget. And I want to say thank you. It, it means a lot to us that anyone is interested in listening to what is, let's just face it, nonsense, and Mm -hmm. that it means enough to people for them to really reach into their pockets and help us out in making it happen. Uh, This is a strange time. This show I know has provided a real outlet for me. It seems like for a lot of our listeners, it's also provided a kind of special outlet where they can escape The cares and woes of the world, and like the prisoners at the end of Sullivan's Travels, uh, laugh for a few moments before returning to the drudgery and hell that is life. So, (laughs) please, uh, why not help keep that brief, shining moment of pleasure in an otherwise blasted and tear-filled veil that we live in, and just join us at MaximumFun.org slash join, become a member if you're already a member, consider upgrading, and if you're not a member, if you don't become a member, thank you still for listening, but... Still consider becoming a member. Like, come yeah, on. So guys. let's let's this do a quick is, little post
2: mortem some... of that little pledge break wow. there. Uh, <laughs> <That> <laughs> was, I, I feel uh, like
0: the pitches to this week have been a little more psychological than I'm comfortable with. Like, uh, just oh, no. like I mean, whether it be like playing on people's psychological.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, weaknesses mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. or
0: um, just sort of veering into kind of a nihilistic view of everything well, now you know that, that would this, be my
1: this is also how my home life goes like, like uh, samuel will be like I love you daddy and I'm like do you love me cause uh, and then I shake a tip jar uh, I'm not seeing a lot <laughs> yeah. in oh, the wow. old TJ yeah, yeah. and then he's got to put some he's got to put some bills in there and I'm like oh you do love me or like he'll put some coins and I'm like oh I guess Sammy doesn't love me as much yeah. as he did yesterday but not, but not, like, not Sorry, too much Dad.
2: cause then he's just doing a flex and you're like fuck you dude like, exactly. I'm trying to buy my and, attention.
1: And next, next week for the Pledge Drive, we'll do reverse psychology. We'll be like, hey, it's Pledge Drive. We don't even want you to pledge. Don't, don't worry. Don't even do it. Don't become a member. And they'll be like, fuck you, Flophouse. Huh. I'll do whatever I want. And they'll become yeah. members, right?
0: Maybe. Okay. I don't like this new psychological warfare direction we're going <laughs> all in. Right,
2: but, all right.
1: But, uh, so, Dan, what do we do next? Oh, yeah? Uh,
0: the next thing we do on the show is do a couple of letters from listeners listeners like you if you want uh to write us a letter go to the website and figure it out i don't like saying it on the air because we get so many letters and it's okay dan if i can if i can read. if
1: i can for a moment do a post on that <laughs> uh. I feel like uh, that was, for someone who, who was ready to open the door on a kinder, gentler era of the Flophouse episode, Yeah, uh, it seems like uh-huh. you really slammed that door shut in the faces of the listeners by saying, and I quote, hey, this is how you send us a letter, go to hell. Seems like, seems like a bit much.
3: Uh, no,
0: I love I love that you guys care. I so, there have been so many touching letters over the years. I'm
2: just really no, not tired. A, no, I apologize. no, not good. Doesn't oh, so okay. So oh so
1: let me just take a moment and say, hey, we're sorry from the Flop House. <laughs> we're sorry for Dan from the Flop House. I'm sure that Stuart and I have said things today that may have caused a bit of dismay for listeners of the Flop House. But even more than that, I would just like to take this moment to chat. And say we're sorry for Dan from the Flophouse. We love when you write to us, it really makes us smile. We'd run for miles and miles and miles for a letter from you. And I don't I know Dan makes it sound like torture that you reach out to us and empty your hearts with affection and love for the flop house, but Dan's just uncomfortable with feelings and emotions. It's the way he was yeah. raised in Eureka, Illinois. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know what? I apologize to everyone. I I feel like between this and Topeka, I've taken a hard left turn into meanness uh, over the last few episodes. I, I, I'm i sorry. Wow. Uh, did, you,
2: did you get that feedback from the overfull letters bag that you have that is crushing your body? Can barely tolerate? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Well, Mike, last name uh, with hell. Uh, this does remind me enough. of years
1: ago when uh, Ringo Starr released that video message where he was like, fans, I love you. Peace and love. You're the best. Do not write me any more letters. I will not write back. Peace and love. Do not write me letters.
0: Well, he, I mean, he, you know, set himself... Uh, an unreasonable, <laughs> uh, thing when he said that he would write back, he like wrote back to everything for <laughs> yeah, years. I mean, that was foolish I mean. insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. My last name withheld writes, Peaches, as Stuart has noted earlier, a movie is a horror movie if a character dies, <laughs> which makes me think that Waking Ned Divine is the best horror movie of all time. On that note, what is your favorite genre defying or cross genre movie? What you guys,
1: I'll I'll say there's a uh, one of my favorite movies that I actually want to watch again soon, but I have to buy a new copy because I lent my DVD to somebody and they lost it. Is a movie called The Fall, directed by Tarsem Singh, that stars Lee Pace, and it's kind of hard to describe. It's like kind of a fantasy, but it's not a fantasy movie, and it's kind of adventure, but it's not quite an adventure movie, and it's kind of a drama, but it's it's a strange movie, and it's uh, this movie where. It that's set in the silent era of Hollywood and this stuntman is in a hospital because he broke his leg in a stunt trying to impress his ex-girlfriend and he befriends this little girl and starts telling her this fantasy story and we're seeing her imagining of what he's telling her and it, the, the story is so building off of the way they feel at any given moment and it's a movie that is very hard to classify but I really love it and it's one that uh, means a lot to me so I would say The Fall which is not my recommendation for this week but I do recommend it mm. anyway back to you guys
3: I, I think like, um, like that one, my, I think my favorite movie of all time, if I had to, had to pick one is probably Jaws. And I think because I think it's probably one of the best horror movies, the best buddy cop movie, the best adventure movie, the best disaster movie, it's a good family drama. I like ones, I like movies that actually mix it up a lot in terms of genres, so
2: Yeah, obviously I'd say Audition, the Takeshi Mieke movie, (coughs) Mm. because the first half is like a weird uh, romance romance drama, and then the second half is, uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. (laughs) Uh, Or, I mean, uh, I've talked about this movie a lot on the show, but uh, The Guest, I think, is great, because you don't kind of don't know what it is for a lot of the movie it like mm-hmm. it's it's so funny and weird and then also it gets actiony and scary it's great Yeah, that's good uh
0: i i i'm just going to sort of make a more broad uh uh statement about i think that a lot of these sort of uh korean new wave of films uh fall into this where like it seems like they can make genre movies there like thrillers or horror films or 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 just you know kind of i don't know like science fictiony things that uh don't feel the need to adhere to one tone like i think that there's a lot of uh problem that american audiences often have if like tone varies wildly um but I don't know. Maybe it's just because of what you said earlier that we're willing to accept uh, different things from different cultures. I don't know, but like um, they don't seem to reject in South Korean films. How often, you know, they'll throw a stew of like me horrifying horror. <laughs> they throw Stewart in there. No, they'll have like horrifying events, <laughs> horrifying violence, but then they'll have uh, very broad comedy, or they'll have uh, uh, characters. Uh, you know, reacting to things in ways that are both emotionally uh, honest and melodramatic simultaneously. And uh, I find that so much more fascinating than something that feels beholden to one tone the whole t- whole way mm-hmm. through. I'm
1: always curious about whether those movies are successful in their home countries. Uh, like, there's like, a, there, that reminded me of a movie I should have used as another answer for this, which is Save the Green Planet, which is a South Korean movie that's like a thriller and also a comedy, and also like a plea for eco- for ecological uh, conservation. And it's such a strange movie, and I know that that was not a success in South Korea. And I wonder if movies that, are, that come over here and get kind of cult followings here, and we start to think that that's kind of like what they do over there, whether those movies are actually mainstream movies over well, there. Sometimes I mean, they are, sometimes I mean, they are Certainly
0: Certainly, like, Park Chan-wook and Bong Joon-ho, like, yeah. two of the biggest names, like, they are hugely successful. That's true. Um,
1: but I'm always like, I, but, I have to look up, like, a movie like The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, like, how, how well that did or not. Because it's... Yeah. Because that's another crazy movie.
0: Uh, so, Ike writes... Uh, President Eisenhower?
1: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how do we feel about Ike, guys?
1: Uh, some people like him. Uh, yeah. I feel like that – to put it just on a like and don't like polar access is a little bit mm-hmm. hard when you're talking about a president who had such yeah. a mixed bag in some ways. On the one hand, mm-hmm. he sent he sent uh, troops to, con- to integrate southern schools. On the other hand, yeah. he did it reluctantly, and he was not happy no. that the Supreme Court forced his hand. Do you judge a man by his motives or by his actions? You know what? That's beyond my pay grade. I'll just say this. As far as presidents who looked like big babies, he was one of the best.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, President Eisenhower writes, uh, This week I finally watched a movie that has scared me my entire life since I watched it for the first time as a kid. I'm speaking, of course, of 1979's The Muppet Movie. (laughs) In, In young my defense, it's still terrifying. However, I was able to sleep afterwards, so big improvement. I'm writing to ask whether any of you have movies that you watched as kids that you couldn't or still can't watch because they scared you so badly. Bonus points if it's not a traditionally scary movie, although uh, I stand that uh, I stand behind that animal is one of the most horrifying creatures to ever grace the screens. Oh, Sammy would argue with that. Thank you for your mm-hmm. time and your podcast. I last name with help. Sammy
1: would argue with that, Mr. President. Although I do know he he would get scared when the giant animal comes out of yeah. the end when he eats all those grow pills although for me the scariest scene in that movie is the one with mel brooks where they they're stuffing kermit into that device and it's like not funny it's just like really distressing mm-hmm. and mel brooks is doing that weird german accent but he's like just looks like regular mel brooks like that whole that whole scene it's it, every time i watch it I skip that scene i'm like don't need it this is too distressing for me
0: well actually i mean like i i had actually forgotten that uh, the Muppet thing was in there when I was formulating my answer to this uh, question, because the three things that I came up with are not actually movies, but they're TV things that I remember scaring me that weren't supposed to be scary as a kid. One of them was at the beginning of the Muppet show when they're like, boom, 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 and the like biggest monsters start walking out of their little doors toward the camera. That freaks me out. I'd be freaked out. Uh. I mean, I was obviously primed to be freaked out because I just watched Twin Peaks, but I'd be extra freaked out by the Mark Frost like production logo at the end that was all like sizzling electricity. <laughs> uh, for a the sudden loud noise afterwards. For a moment, I thought what? that
1: you were primed to be freaked out by the Muppet Show because you had just watched Twin Peaks. That's why I, I, yeah. I, I misunderstood for a moment. Yeah.
0: Bob uh, is and kind lastly,
2: an animal the animal th- figure, I think. <laughs> 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 the thing that would
0: terrify me the most when I was a kid was the emergency broadcast system tests cuz my brother at some point was like, "Oh, you know, like this is, you know, they that's the the government put in place in case like there's a nuclear war or something like that." I'm like, "What?" And so every time, even though they would say it's only a test, it would freak me out. I think it's partly just like the fact that anything Anything could interrupt television, one of the most important pillars in my childhood. <laughs> well, that's something th- would have the audacity to break into the signal.
1: <laughs> when I was a kid, I would uh, like, or like a teenager, you know, if I stayed up till four in the morning or something watching TV, and there was always the moment when I would go to the local PBS channels to watch the end of day. Where they would play, it must have been something they made in the early '80s or late '70s. Where it's images of Americana, as the as there's like a MIDI version of the Star Spangled Banner that plays, and mm-hmm. I just remember, and it's like super like '70s, early '80s video where like there's a lot of blur, like and and burn in when it moves from image to image, and then it would just end yeah. the song and immediately cut to color bars, and that would be it for about two hours, and I was it just frightened me so much for a similar reason where it was like, oh okay, there's there's nobody at the wheel right now. Like that channel just <laughs> yeah. doesn't exist. Like anything could happen right now. And we're in a no man's and also it meant like, well, I've stayed up so late that I'm no longer tired and we'll get no sleep tonight, which was the other scary thing. Yeah. So I think if I watched that on my own now, I'd get that feeling of like the fright of, well, what am I going to do for the rest of the night till the sun comes up? What do you guys think?
3: <laughs> I, I would say my, my, my scariest one is, uh, I know this is sacred in this house, but um, uh, is gremlins. I saw gremlins in the theater. I thought it was the scariest movie I'd ever seen. I got none of the humor. I just got the grimness of it and the and the grossness of it. And I've never seen it again. It it lives in my mind as the scariest movie that exists.
1: I mean, it, it's a legitimately scary movie. Like, the, it's I always have to remind myself, like, oh yeah, like the gremlins kill people. Mm-hmm. And even when you see the gremlins killed on screen, like it's really gross. Yeah, but.
3: But but then I also you see that
1: part really. There's rum- that part where the gremlins are hanging out at the bar and they're just having a blast. You know, mutant madness. It's I, great. I just
3: never found the humor in the like. I was too young to sort of get the humor of it and the madcapness of it. And I just remember mm-hmm. uh, her dad dying in the chimney. <laughs> trying to be santa claus and and then the grossness of the different gremlins that when they when they are turned nasty and stuff and i I've, i've never seen gremlins too. i've never seen any of the other ones like my kids are 13 now and uh We've talked about different. Um, they, they used to really be pushing horror movies and horror, you know, like more and more extreme. They really wanted to try them out, and uh, I drove the line at grem- Gremlins. <laughs> You're like martyrs. It's funny,
0: it's funny that.
1: <laughs> You're like, there's dad. Can dad can we watch Gremlins? No, we're watching Anthropophages. That's what we're watching. There's no. <laughs> that dad dying.
0: Uh, Phoebe Kate's dad dying. Uh, monologue scene disturbed me so much as a kid and it was like such an interesting process growing up and seeing Grimmins over and over again and like uh, like slowly getting that the joke of the scene is that there is no joke to it that they're like in the middle of it just telling this very grim <laughs> sad story
1: uh, I mean there is a it, little bit of a joke in the idea that the, her dad thought this would be a great idea mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's a terrible it, idea
0: it, it's this horrible like Like urban legend horror tale, almost. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but just the fact that it's played basically straight for this miserable thing in the middle of a horror comedy is
2: funny in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I was a pretty weird kid. I remember being really, uh, scared when I saw a clip of the movie The Shining. <laughs> uh, the yeah. Wow, what, you yeah. you were a little out there. You were a little out there. Kentarou, yeah, uh, and trauma. obviously Large Marge, like Large Marge. Oh, Large that, Marge, that was yeah, yeah. Was a, yeah. Large First Marge was
1: the, was the scariest thing. Large Marge and that taxi cab ghost in Ghostbusters uh, were the two things that consistently yeah. I would cover my eyes for. I, as a I kid. think
2: there was a there's an episode of I think it was the Hogan family that opens <clears throat> like it's a Halloween episode, and it opens with the characters as zombies. That was pretty scary. <laughs> well, I, I, I remember
0: also now that I think about it, being genuinely scared by the crypt keeper, even though now I look at him as like silly and lovable. Oh, because
1: yeah. when you're a kid, I know when I was a kid, I thought he was a real guy. Like I didn't necessarily, I didn't yeah. think he was a real zombie. Wow. but I thought he was like a, I thought he was a real person who's who they put makeup on his face, and I couldn't mm. quite figure out whether he was a puppet or not, and that really wow. frightened me.
3: It's The yeah. Uncanny yeah. Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Of course now. I love him. Now he's a great guy. And, uh, your best uh, friend. Now we're best, now we're best buds, me and Crypty. But, uh, um, yeah. Kids are scared of stuff. Large Marge is the scariest thing in the world when you're a kid, though. And as an adult, I watched it and I was like, this is. This could be on Pee Wee's Playhouse, like it's so goofy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. and no, and like I would know it was happening. Like that's one of those things where, as a kid, you watch it again, and you're like, I know this is going to happen, and I know it's going to be scary, and the anticipation, yeah. is so frightening.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're like you work yourself up, you you start to vomit, it's horrible. Yeah, you're just peeing all over yourself, <laughs> yeah. pooping all over yourself, <laughs> yeah.
1: and your mom is like, "You are not watching this movie again. I will not allow it. This happens every time." And you're like, "But mom, but mom, he's got to get his bike back." Uh, yeah. I got, I got to see that one moment where Ghidra shows up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so let's uh, move on into the final uh, segment of the show, which is recommendations. And we'll do it quick because uh, we've wasted so much of... Podcasting legend Roman Marx's time. Yeah, today. I apologize,
1: Roman. You were like, you were like, no problem. In and out. I'm sure they shoot, they, they tape this show in a professional way. Not all in a run for two hours plus. No,
3: my pleasure. No. Um,
1: we should have warned you. So about I that. want
0: to recommend uh, Relic, which is uh, new to video on demand, as so many things are these days. Uh, starring Emily Mortimer.
1: You mean the Relic? Um, uh-huh. No, I, I mean Relic, the new 2020 mimic. film. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> talking about. No, I think
1: you're talking about screamers.
0: No, it's a it's a it is a New Zealand Canada co-production with a uh, English lead actor, and uh, it is about um, you know a, a a grandmother. Well, the main character's mother, the uh, secondary, uh, the daughter's grandmother. You know, three generations. Let's just say that the grandmother is. Um, this is the quick deteriorating. One. She is deteriorating in health. Uh, They go out to her house to take care of her, to look for her. Like She's disappeared at the beginning of the movie. Um, And it is a a movie that is uh, a horror film based on sort of the metaphor of the horror of seeing your parent deteriorate in that way. And um, I think at first when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, this is another one of these elevated horror movies that over relies maybe on... Uh, lack of incident and building dread and uh, also maybe suffers from being a little close to hereditary and that it's you know this sort of generational horror but then as it went on I realized that it was like its own great thing the third act does some really scary stuff with sort of the geography of the house that's fun (laughs) and then toward the end of the movie it just sort of pushes the metaphor so far that like the movie kind of becomes Poetic and your emotions shift in a way that I've never seen a horror movie pull off, so it's mm. it's it's very interesting relic
1: uh I'll go next real quick. I'm going to recommend a movie that I had mentioned on a previous mini as one that I was kind of going back and forth on recommending, and that's a 1972 western called Buck and the Preacher, starring Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. And it's the first movie that Sidney Poitier directed, and uh, taking over the direction after being dissatisfied with the work of Joseph Sargent, director of my favorite movie, The Taking of Pelham One Two Three, and of course Jaws for the Revenge. But anyway, uh, and it's a western where there's a uh, a number of. Uh, former slaves or former enslaved people are moving West to try to escape from becoming uh, enforced kind of tenant farmers. And these uh, militias from the South are trying to forcibly push them back, trying to kind of scare and bully them into coming back and uh, working as tenant farmers. And they hire Sidney Poitier's character uh, as a guide to help them through the West to get to where they'll be safe. And Harry Belafonte is kind of like a con man preacher who – Uh, teams up with them and decides to help them at a certain point. And it was really interesting to see a Western movie that kind of treated white people, black people, and also Native Americans. And it it commits the crime of having Native Americans played by non-Native actors, you know, uh, but they do a good job of bringing dignity to those roles. Portraying them as kind of like all different groups that are at odds with each other but are not in... Homogeneous blocks and are also not. Uh, they, there's a thing you see a lot in certain types of westerns where the hero runs into a bunch of Native Americans and they're buddies, and it's like, well, you know, this guy is a good guy because the native characters all love it. Like in Maverick, that happens basically, and in this this one, there's this relationship between Sydney Poitier's characters and the natives where it's like they know each other, they're aware of each other, but they're still in this kind of tentative tension because these are groups of people who even though they're starting to more and more exist in the same space they have more complicated relationships than a movie would usually portray and they kind of all want different things from this world that they're in but anyway it's a there are a couple really good action scenes in it in it and it doesn't quite all the way come together although harry belafonte is very funny in it and a lot of times and the soundtrack uh which is by uh the jazz musician Benny Carter is fantastic and uses like a Jew's harp in the best way that I've heard it outside of a Marcone score. And so it's a, it's a kind of interesting Western that isn't totally on point in terms of uh, pulling everything together at the end, but I think it's worth watching and it's called Buck and the Preacher. Who's up next?
2: Uh, I can go. Uh, I am going to recommend uh, a movie that has gotten quite a, quite a bit of good press, but I want to talk about it anyway called Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh it is a
1: uh (laughs) is playing at my house a lot
2: lately the way you said it was just for (laughs) a movie yeah it's uh so it's a French movie and it is a period piece about a doomed romance filled with subtle longing and it's uh I, when I, I, remember when I first went into it, I was expecting it to be fairly dry, but it really isn't, uh, it manages to balance that, uh, the tone of that kind of a doomed romance with, uh, like a feeling of, uh, like teenagers left alone in a house while the parents are out of town, like a, uh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead vibe, uh, and I think it's really fun, there's a lot of really great little incidents, uh, the characters are fun, and it has, uh probably it has like it has such a great sad ending it's just awesome it's great i've watched it a bunch of times uh i think it was it was on hulu just like uh just like don't tell mom the babysitter's Watch, dead it has that great yeah sad exactly ending. and like don't tell mom the babysitter's <laughs> dead you get you get like the proof of title in the movie like you're not disappointed. <laughs> oh, they don't wow. tease you with anything you get yeah. it you see that portrait
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and the mom they never the mom never finds out that the babysitter died, right?
2: Well, I mean the babysitter dies in the first like 5 minutes of that movie. They don't fuck around and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead.
1: Or but in mean, the they... lady
2: on fire. What? But they don't tell <laughs> the think... mom. They never
1: tell
0: the mom, right? Yeah. Well, I mean does she just like I feel like maybe she discovers like
2: right at the very
1: end of
0: the movie. Yeah,
2: she finds a decomposing hand and she's like, "Whoa." Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, when she's when she's digging the, when she's digging a hole to bury the treasure that she was off yeah. getting in the other movie that's happening in the fringes yep.
0: of Don't Tell Mom the Babies I just did. Yeah, she was over in Goonies.
3: <laughs> so I was trying to think of an another like a light crime comedy that's more successful than Hudson Hawk and the and this is actually one of my favorite movies. It's called Quick Change. It's um I think a genuinely funny um uh, you know, uh, heist uh, movie with Bill Murray that he actually co directed. Um, and it's, I think it's really underrated. I think it's one of Bill Murray's best movies. And uh, I know um, Jesse Thorne and I have bonded over this movie in particular because I, I wouldn't be surprised. If, like he's yeah, coming very on soon. Show yeah. He's probably going
1: to tell weeks. us about oh, old you baseball.
2: Scooped players. I you
3: scooped him on this one. <laughs> the other benefit of this <laughs> yeah. is I get to scoop Jesse Thorne, my nemesis. Um uh and and tell you just how great quick change is because it, it it's like I, I watched it with my son uh, one of my sons um a few weeks ago and uh he totally got it he was into it and it was it was There's great. a movie i Hands had up. on
2: uh video cassette and i watched it many many times growing up but for some reason i can't remember specific incidents just like the feeling like i rem- like at the end where they're like walking down that street it's like they're like last chance to get away i don't know it's great <laughs> Uh, so,
0: I'm gonna say a last word about the Max Fun Drive in a moment, but I just want to say. So, at the end of "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead," and this is uh-huh. this oh. is worth the. I'm this glad sort we of the have walk. some closure on you. this.
1: Glad we have some closure. Uh,
0: the mom asks where uh, the babysitter is, and as the credits roll, the scene cuts away to the cemetery, where two morticians look over a gravestone that reads "Nice old lady inside, died of natural causes." And that's—I uh, think that's a pretty good joke.
1: Don't Wait, the tell mom, the the, dead. the gravestone says that. Yeah, the gravestone says so that. Did the, I don't know. Do the kids buy a tombstone or? the confusing part. Also, no, no, <laughs> not a tombstone. Oh, pizza, Stuart. I mean, oh boy. Right, right, oh, right, right,
0: right, right. Also, Wikipedia race. says that there's two morticians at the gravestone. I, I doubt that that's actually who's yeah, there. it's not a but, fucking mortician, mean, mortician
2: conference. Maybe
0: yeah.
1: maybe the morticians like to stop by the cemetery to make sure they're taking good care of their work. You know, mm, let's mm-hmm. make sure this was buried yeah, just, the right way. We put a lot of work into just into stuffing there this old lady full in. of chemicals. Just want to make sure that this. And you know they leave a rock on the stone, you know, yeah. just uh-huh. to let, let people know that they're there. Yeah.
0: Okay, guys. Well, just uh, it's been a long day, so uh, <laughs> let's get to the end, guys. Here's but here's do... the lesson
1: that we learned: is I need to edit my notes ahead of time.
0: Yeah. yeah i do i do want to say uh, one more word in support of the max fun drive you can go to maximum slash join if you haven't had a chance to become a member yet or upgrade your membership that is where you can go i just want to say one last word which is that i don't love asking for money even when we're not in the middle of several world crises so you know it's a difficult thing i uh I also like stability, and I chose a job comedy writing that I'm sure I'm going to age out of very soon. So I've made a lot of bad choices uh, considering (laughs) that we are listener-supported. But that is the point. We are listener-supported. As much as I may dislike coming to you hat in hand, we have to do it. And it's ultimately a good thing because, as we've said before, uh, being funded by people like you means that we can put on this show, which no one normally would pay for. Let's be honest, guys. Wow. But you, but you like it. You like it. So <laughs> you get the chance to keep entertainment that may not exist otherwise going. And for that, uh, we are very grateful. Thank you if you're uh, a person who donates. If you're not, if you don't have the means, believe uh, me, we understand. Uh, we just thank you for listening as well. Spread the word about the show. Spread the word about the drive. Uh, Thank you again so much for those who have given or plan to give uh, to keep this show going. And uh, just thanks. That's the main message we wanted to say here at the end. Um, And thank you to Roman Mars for coming and uh, being a guest on this bumpy ride, much like the movie Hudson Hawk.
1: Uh, Roman, is there anything that you would like to tell us about or plug before you go?
3: Oh, sure. So uh, I do a show called 99% Invisible. It's about architecture and design, but really it's kind of about everything in the built world and how it sort of, what it speaks to us as what we, what's important to us as humans. And actually we oh. have our first book coming out on October 6th, October 6th. It's co-authored by Kurt Kolstad, who works on the staff as digital director and it's called the 99% Invisible City. And uh, wow, so we hope people That's awesome. will buy it and, and enjoy that. I'm and intrigued. Too. I uh, love that stuff.
1: Okay, I'm well, gonna buy that book. You know what? I'm gonna buy that book. So, listeners, if you want to be like me and own at least one book that I own, <laughs> you should also buy it too. And
3: and if you want to be like me, and I've been a regular donor to Maximum Fund for over a decade, I think you should go to org slash join because I think that putting your, you know, future and uh, in the hands of the listeners of Max Fun is a great choice. I think it's. A very important choice, Dan. I think I'm proud of you for doing it because I think that these people <laughs> will catch you. I think they will hold you and take care of you oh, God. and let you be who you Roar. are and let you make <laughs> the things you ever want. That's, what they, that's, that's all I've ever that's wanted. That's what they want to do right now. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they want to do right now. And that they're going to come, they're going to join me in this effort by going to maximumfund.org/slash/join <laughs> and just take care oh, of God. these men who are really, who 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 put <laughs> yeah. so much... I feel like Roman could be like, so could be like a
0: supervillain, like and, one of those supervillains that just like knows your psychological <laughs> profile immediately uh-huh, yeah. and, oh, yeah, yeah, and sure. just you know uses it against you. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs>
3: But I think it's a, it's a beautiful system and a great choice. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to apologize for. This is really, really like the greatest thing that we want is for us all to take care of each other in the way that we can. And this is what is so sort of beautiful about Pledge Drives is because they are about us giving what we can, whatever we can, to create something greater together. So go to MaximumFund.org slash join to join me. Join me because not just them. Like what I need is not just uh, yeah. I need not only them supported you you're part yeah, of the team that sure. i'm i'm part of because i'm one of these people uh-huh, that yeah. gives money to them so and it only works if yep. we all join in together mm-hmm. by going to maximumfund.org i feel like i, uh, I feel like, like a
2: couple Dan, of younglings we, sitting around the jedi master over here right yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's like we're, that we're we
1: all it's like we were all auditioning to be dancers in a show and then roman was like okay well let me show you how that step's supposed to be done and then just like pulled it off yeah. so beautifully while reading a newspaper and it's like what, how did impossible
0: yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and doing our job. Uh, but now we need to say goodbye so I can get out of this hot room and Roman can do important things, and I don't know, you guys can go uh, do whatever the shit is that you go do. Go try and to
2: save me. my business? Yeah, I'm going to go do that.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, try <laughs> okay. try and save my family, like the titular steward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'd, also, I'd also No, say... wait, which one of you is
0: saving
2: oh, Elliot's family? Can't oh, tell boy. our voices apart now. <laughs>
1: oh wow wow he's just he's just so so hypnotized by Roman he doesn't know what's going on anymore Uh, well Dan uh, before we go I'd just like to thank everybody for listening (laughs) in and let them and say hey if you have a chance to tweet or Instagram or whatever about us go ahead and do so and I also want to give a special thanks to our editor Jordan Cowling who has her work cut out for her with this very long episode bye everyone
3: (laughs) Bye. bye
0: Uh, Roman, your job is just to say four when the the time arrives. Okay. One. Two. Three. Four. Five.
1: Six. Four.
0: <laughs> what the? Why are you? I got distracted by something. You're the one, one who wants me to do two goddamn rounds. We never do them. you immediately derail it. We never do them, I said so I I, got I, would lost. Do, I said I would
1: do it long style
0: I didn't believe time. you.
1: I didn't believe you. <laughs>